welcome everybody to the Sack Attack Fantasy Football Podcast and the Fantasy Football Advocate Podcast. Today we're going to be going over all of this week's games, cover up some waiver wire picks for the week, and we will answer your questions and more. So today we have a very special guest with us, Sky from TCK Pod. Uh, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. Sack, I know we've been connected. You're actually in the TCK Listener League, which I so appreciate you being a part of that. Also, massive, massive, massive respects to you and your hard work this preseason when you helped out the TCK Potters and the TCK Draft Guide. So any of the TCK Potters either listening now or have heard of the Draft Guide, uh, you were a big part of that. So thank you, my man, for that. And Advocate, you and I have been connected via social media as well for quite a while. But unfortunately, this is the first time connected. So Super stoked to be with you guys tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast. Your listeners can go find us on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore TCK pod on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. All of our weekly rankings, articles, strength of schedule, spreadsheet for fantasy football in the playoffs every week updated live at tckpod.com. And of course, you can listen to our podcast, The Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Let's have some fun, boys. For sure. So we'll get right into it with the Chargers and the Raiders game on Thursday night football. Um, TCK, you said you were an Oregon fan. So how 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 did it feel for you with the uh, the Herbert versus Mariota scene with Carr going down with the groin injury? Yeah, man. Uh, thankfully, I'm actually more than just an Oregon fan. Uh, I am an Oregon alumni. I went to I am a duck. Uh, I live down the street from the University of Oregon and Autzen Stadium. Um, I watched Marcus Mariota here his entire time. I watched Justin Herbert his entire time as well. I actually saw him at Sheldon High School. For any of you local PNW folks up here in Oregon, um, I watched him play high school football as well. So a huge Oregon fan, huge fan of Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota. This is really a dream come true for a Duck fan in general. Look, I mean, what Marcus Mariota did in college, I'm not going to digress too much, but I, I think I could speak for Anybody that's not a diehard SEC person, I'll throw, put it that way, what Marcus Mariota did while he was in college, especially the final two years, was something that not very many uh, players have done ever. On his way to a Heisman Trophy, number two pick behind Jameis Winston, came out guns ablazing with the Titans. Unfortunately, though, after his rookie year, got injured. He was ineffective. He was kind of a quote-unquote bust. was unable to get it, and I felt really bad for the guy, one of the best human beings on the planet um, personally, but just not able to get it for football. It gets moved to the Raiders. I said preseason, talent-wise, Marcus is better than Derek Carr. He gives the Raiders a better chance to win. Sure enough, Derek Carr gets a groin injury. Of course, I wasn't wishing injury on anybody, but Derek Carr comes up with a gimp groin injury early in that game, gives Marcus an opportunity, comes out 260, 276 through the air and a passing touchdown to Darren Waller, a beautiful ball, nine carries, 88 yards, and a score on the ground. So again, if you watched him in college, you know he's that dual threat quarterback, which led to the Heisman Trophy. Even better for Duck fans, of course, we get our boy Justin Herbert for the Chargers, who played very well. Over 300 yards, three total touchdowns, one rushing, again, dual threat quarterback. That was with Keenan Allen, who I know we're going to talk about. Very frustrating this week for fantasy managers. But Keenan Allen, three targets, one catch, 17 yards. Austin Eckler, 17 total touches, 79 total yards, but no score. Really came down to Henry. Um, Johnson and Guyton hitting the work, but Justin Herbert's still a fantasy option without Kenny um, Keenan Allen, which was huge, but it was really a dream come true to see Herbert and Mariota play each other. And honestly, guys, I wish Derek Carr the absolute best, but growing up in the Bay area as a 49er fan, I watched too many Raider games back in the day as well. Derek Carr is just frankly, not the answer. 
He's not the, uh, he has already been the franchise quarterback try for the Raiders. I think they give Marcus a chance next year. I'm really hoping that we get Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert twice a year next season when the Raiders and the uh, Chargers take off. And hopefully he can uh, kind of help the Raiders build with that young squad. Yeah, no, yeah, I, mean, I was pretty impressed with the game overall, too. Um, again, like you mentioned, though, with, uh, again, if people listen to the podcast and they know what I have to say, they probably know I'm going to talk about how I like how Marcus Mariota is a dual threat QB. And I like how I've always liked QBs who are good on the ground. And Mariota proved this this week, nine rushes, 88 yards and a touchdown. I feel like that with rushing QBs, they're they're one of my favorites for the main reasoning that rushing yards and touchdowns provide slightly more points than the passing counterparts. So because of this, they allow the QB to score more points or have a higher upside of points, while also it takes less work to get the same amount of points. So it kind of has like a dual threat ability of increasing the floor while also kind of theoretically increasing the ceiling as well. Yeah, and I would agree with that for sure. And something to point out with that is, like, it seemed like Josh Jacobs was better off with Marcus Mariota in because for the defense, it gives you basically a second thing you have to worry about because Mariota can easily pull it back. And he looked healthy than healthier than I've ever seen him running the football. He looked fast. He looked agile. And he wasn't afraid to get hit. So, I mean, he, he has fresh legs. He's been able to use his mobility to get outside the pocket if he needs to. And honestly, it, it boosts Josh Jacobs. I agree. And we, we see that a lot of times. I mean, you know, think about what the Ravens have been able to do. Obviously they're frustrating, you know, JK Dobbins now is becoming that number one finally, but early in the season it was Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, even justice Hill over the years. We see a lot of these kind of dual threat quarterbacks benefiting the running back. Uh, we saw it with miles Sanders with Jalen hurts coming in, doing more of that uh, RPO than Carson Wentz is doing. We even see it with Austin Eckler with Justin Herbert. Obviously we haven't seen them on the field much together this year with Eckler out. Um, a chunk of that season, but it is going to be interesting to see Josh Jacobs move forward. If Mariota is the starter, because generally the defense plays more man coverage versus running quarterbacks because they have to account for that. Whereas they're not going to do that necessarily against breeze Brady, uh, a Roethlisberger, somebody like that rivers. Um, so it's a different look. And if you're playing man coverage, usually that allows the running back to get a mismatch on a, either a slower middle linebacker or potentially even a nickel corner somebody that they can out muscle if they get out there in the open field. And, and Josh Jacobs not getting the passing work of uh, obviously a Camara cook or somebody like that, but getting enough to be effective. And frankly, this is his best game in a while. 29 total touches, 130, uh, 13 total yards and a score. Um, now, really quick before we move on to the next game, I do want to bring this up because it's the elephant in the room. It's kind of, you know, it's an afterthought with Keenan Allen with us doing this, you know, days later. But Josh Jacobs last week as well. Josh Jacobs comes out, says not playing. Everybody sees it, freaks out. People, some people don't start him because he said that Adam Schefter shared his information. So now it's coming from a reliable source, yada, yada. Well, he was literally kidding. So he ends up playing. Some people benched him. Luckily, he didn't have a huge game, but that was a bust. Certainly frustrating. Well, this week, Keenan Allen, who is warming up, everything's dropping like, hey, he looks, he's going to play. He's questionable all night. People are freaking out. Literally goes to the camera on the pregame and says, don't bench me, like talking to the owners. So great. We play him. Everybody plays him. Goes out there, three total targets, one catch, 17 yards. 
what is more frustrating, whether you guys have them or not, just talking kind of, um, you know, generally, what would be more frustrating to you guys as a fantasy manager, having a player tell you, I'm going to play and then a dud or telling you I'm not going to play. And then they go out there and play. So you sit them. It's not an ideal situation either way, but which one's more frustrating Keenan Allen situation or Josh Jacobs. I think for me, it's going to be the Josh Jacobs situation and both, both situations suck. Like you mentioned, neither of them are good, but let's put it this way. I feel like at least Keenan Allen somewhat cares for the fantasy owners, whereas Josh Jacobs was just messing with us. So Kind of for that reason, for that reasoning, I'm like, I would rather, I would rather be, I'd rather be, have a dud be put up by a guy who I know cares and is actually trying than just to be teased by somebody who just doesn't like us. I would agree with that. I would say for me, it's Keenan Allen. And the only reason I would say Keenan Allen is because, I mean, like, we kind of all went through that process where at like 4 p.m. when it was announced that Keenan Allen was going to play with about two hours left before uh, game time. And like all of us as fantasy owners are scrambling where to put him in rankings and all this. And you're like, oh, if he plays at 50%, he's still better than almost or than all of these guys. So you put him at like wide receiver 25 and all these things. So as a fan, as somebody who covers fantasy and has to see that, um, for me, I feel like it was worse because like all of this and then you hear don't sit me. So you're like, okay. I'm well off putting him in my top 20 wide receivers. And then all of a sudden he just busts, whether it's his fault, whether it's um, the trainers not, not allowing him to play or whether it's Anthony Lynn just saying, you know, we're not going to use you because you're not hundred percent either way. I still feel like that would be worse versus a Josh Jacobs thing. I agree. And um, if Keenan Allen were to miss either he sits out or he, again, you don't trust him for some reason in the next game, the Broncos, we just saw Josh Allen put up four total touchdowns against the Broncos. We'll talk about that game in just a couple seconds here. But if Keenan Allen misses time or you're, and you're not comfortable with him, he, you know, he's on 100% regardless. Uh, Tyron Johnson and um, Jalen Guyton both had a great game. Johnson scored Guyton 91 yards. Both of these guys have shown the ability to get downfield um, this season. Are there is there one or the other that either one of you guys would be confident in with Allen out, or are you just going to be fading Pretty much. I mean, Eckler and Henry are automatic at this point in their positions. Would you just be fading charger receivers if if you're not comfortable in Allen? Are you rolling Allen if he's in no matter what because he's Keenan Allen? Or are you starting one of these other guys? And you could throw in Mike Williams. I didn't mention him because he had a dead game and got hurt right away as well. But what are you doing with the Chargers? Zach, if you want to talk about it first. I mean, I will. So with Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton, um, for me, it seemed like the game that we had uh, Keenan Allen out for most of this game. Um, for me, obviously, Tyron Johnson went deep a lot this game, which is something we didn't see uh, the week prior, where it seemed like Tyron Johnson was kind of stepping into the Keenan Allen role, taking uh, commanding those targets in the middle of the field. So it, we saw Tyron Johnson score and we've seen him have really good stretch of games, although Jalen Guyton has been more on the field, has taken more total snaps. And he's kind of been the third wide receiver next to Williams and Allen when they're healthy. I personally am starting to like the upside of Tyron Johnson over Jalen Guyton. If I had to choose one moving forward, and especially against Denver, if Allen's out, Denver's secondary has been beat up big time. They're move, they're losing their top four covering corners as well. Sack, you want to chime in on that, or we can move on to the Broncos and the Bills game? Uh, yeah, so sorry about that. I had something muted. Um, 
But yes, so basically for me, uh, personally myself, I'm kind of fading them. I'm not super impressed by either. I do feel like their value is definitely increased, but I feel like as Keenan Allen comes back healthy and Eckler and Hunt, Hunter Henry play and everything, whatever value they had from last week pretty much diminishes. For, for a dynasty aspect, though, I feel like they have value, and I would agree uh, with Victor on this one. But for, for now, for redress, which is normally my main focus, I feel like without, when Allen comes back, which should be pretty soon, hopefully, I feel like their value is diminished. So personally, for the rest of the year, I'm fading. Fair enough. All right, if we want to, we can go ahead and move into the Buffalo-Denver game. And I, I want to address the elephant in the room with Stefan Diggs basically going out with a foot injury against New England. Are we trusting that against what most likely will be a shadow Gilmore? Or, uh, yeah, a shadow by Gilmore. Well, I'm going to throw this out there. It is somewhat breaking news here. Uh, because it did come out today and maybe you haven't seen the report no big deal that's why we cover each other Stefan Gilmore uh, had a torn quadricept and he is potentially out for the entire season so we do not have to worry about a shadow coverage from Stefan Gilmore now I will say JC Jackson who is probably the new Stefan Gilmore for the Patriots uh, will I don't know if he's going to shadow but he will definitely be getting mostly Stefan Diggs, and he actually leads the NFL in um, takeaway interceptions. Um, so he's no slouch either. Uh, but uh, Stefan Gilmore, I believe, out for the season. I'll let you guys cover it and let me um, let me double check my words on that real quick. Yeah, I mean, even if Gilmore is out, I mean, J.C. Jackson's a respectable corner, and he's he's starting to throw himself into one of the best or like top ten corners in the NFL. I mean, he's he's been killing it when Gilmore has been out this year. Um, another thing to keep in mind, especially for next week with the Buffalo Bills, they move on to New England. Cole Beasley has been receiving a funnel of targets. And are we are we if John Brown comes back, which they look like he's going to come into practice again and he's going to practice for this week. If John Brown comes in, are we are we viewing Cole Beasley? I mean, we're obviously not viewing him in the same uh, limelight as we would but are we viewing him still as a like highly startable option or is it that simply not the case with the matchup and John Brown all right, so for, all right so for me I still feel like Cole Beasley even with John Brown coming back is a startable option and my main reason for this is he was actually I'm pretty sure that he was a top 20 receiver while John Brown was healthy and whenever he went down with injury it just it only made things a little easier for uh, Cole Beasley, because then the only other receiver on this team that's getting a massive influx of targets was Stefan Diggs. And Stefan Diggs was more the outside receiver, whereas Cole Beasley was more of the slot receiver, which is, I'm not saying Brown was a slot receiver, but like their, their games matched up a little more similarly than what Beasley's and Diggs were. So if you take a look at it, though, I feel like Cole Beasley can still put up similar numbers, just not near as well. I agree. Um, first, let me uh, just clarify what I had said earlier. Stephon Gilmore is out for the season. He's going to have season-ending surgery on a torn quadricep, unfortunately. So he is done for the year. J.C. Jackson will become the number one. Jason McCourty is going to come in and be opposite of uh, J.C. Jackson there for the dual um, cornerbacks there for the Patriots. Also, not really fantasy-related, but can certainly make a defense, a DST, more relevant next season. 
Uh, Stephon Gilmore was in trade talks at the deadline a few weeks ago. They didn't move him, obviously, but he is 30 years old. They could potentially look to move off of him. You know, Uncle Bill likes to move away from players a year early than a year late. So there's certainly a chance that Stephon Gilmore ends up moving this offseason to another team. Maybe he goes down to Tampa Bay with the rest of the Patriots. We'll see what happens. But I digress. Uh, as far as Beasley and, and John Brown goes, look, the reality is the way that <laughs> the way that Josh Allen's playing, I am good to start all three Bills receivers. Stephon Diggs is automatic at this point. I mean, 11 catches on 13 targets, 147, absolutely beasting out. Did leave with the foot injury, but if he plays, he's good. If he's out, I'm definitely starting both of these guys here, Beasley and John Brown. So I'm okay with each of them. I would lean Cole Beasley regardless of John Brown or, or Stephon Diggs. I think he is the steady one um, because Diggs now is hampered and um, uh, John Brown has been out for the last couple of weeks. A couple things to note about both these receivers. They're kind of underlying things, but just things I've noticed over the years. When Stephon Diggs was in Minnesota, um, when he was on the injury report heading into a game, he was either coming off of injury or he was questionable, limited practice, whatever. He was generally not very effective, meaning like when he's injured, he gets injured, like he's hurt and he doesn't bounce back very quickly. John Brown has had the sickle cell trait issue that hurt him in, in Arizona for a while, and it might have uh, been effective with him in Buffalo as well. So, again, both these guys not bouncing back from injury very well. Cole Beasley is that guy. He's going to get 10 to 12 targets per game, eight catches, 112 yards last week. Cole Beasley's automatic regardless, but if all three play, I would actually be okay with all three of them, to be honest with you, against the Chargers next week. Or, I'm sorry, not uh, not playing the Chargers, but I would be good with uh, with all of the Bills. No, I, I agree with that. I really like that. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, is I'm as I'm not hundred percent sure or not, but uh, I'm pretty sure that Cole Beasley was a top twenty option, like during the early part of the season, even with John Brown. So yeah, I agree. He's definitely startable in my opinion. Uh, the only the only players that I'm seeing that I I'm considering that are definitely not startable. I actually called this a few weeks ago is I feel like the Buffalo Bills running backs are just mediocre and lackluster this year they just kind of take away from each other and Josh Allen is there as well so if you want to view him as like like a third running back that's basically what's going on in Buffalo I don't like any of the Buffalo Bills running backs personally I agree Singletary had a 51 yard touchdown with a minute 40 left that kind of made it look a lot better. And if you accidentally played him in fantasy this week in your semis, it worked out for you. But I, I agree with you, Zach, that I'm not, I'm not looking forward to firing up him or Moss. I think actually NFL terms, they're a nice one-two punch. They're kind of a, a poor man's thunder and lightning kind of a thing. But for fantasy, they eat each other, plus there's Josh Allen. And all of a sudden, the Bills, who have been a run-first offense since the 90s, all of a sudden are pass, 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 and then run on third and one. So I totally agree with you. I'm fading the Bills running backs. Right, exactly. The The main killer, though, is that Josh Allen's uh, stat line in, on the ground game for this game was three rushes for 33 yards and two touchdowns. So whenever the touchdowns are there in short yardage situations, surprisingly, it's not Zach Moss, but in this particular game, it was Josh Allen. So again, when you take a, a running back backfield, and you, you're already splitting the yards and touchdowns, but then the touchdowns are going to the quarterback and Josh Allen. It's just something you don't want to see. And it's, it just makes everybody 
all the running backs basically not super valuable. But Josh Allen has been very solid all year, and I think he'll continue to be solid. And he's somebody that um, if his price is kind of cheap next year, I feel like I'm going to target him again. I'm not sure it's going to be very cheap if we're having – I mean, we put you mentioned it early in this podcast, like you put so much more value on the rushing quarterback. You know, I mean, who were the top running quarterbacks still like mobile? I, I shouldn't say they're, they're not all running, but mobile like Lamar Jackson, obviously Kyler, obviously, if Jalen Hurts is that guy, he's going to be up there. Um, I mean, Watson can move Russ and Mahomes aren't really thought as running quarterbacks, but they could certainly come pick up a first down. Rogers even picks up a first down. Josh Allen, certainly a rushing quarterback. I mean, all of a sudden you're looking at five, six, seven of those quarterbacks that could all use their legs. But I agree with you, especially in like standard formats that are not six point per passing touchdown. Guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts uh, gain a little bit of value when they're rushing in touchdowns. You get that extra two points per rushing touchdown versus a uh, passing one. Right. No, completely agree there. And then on the Denver side of this game, just overall, not very good play by anybody except for Melvin Gordon III, who was kind of carried by touchdowns in this game. His stat line was 11 rushes, the same amount as Philip Lindsay, but Gordon ended up turning it for 61 yards and two touchdowns versus Lindsay's just 38 rushing yards. So overall in this game, I feel like the bill, like not the Bills, uh, the Broncos overall were pretty lackluster. Uh, Noah Fant was also, he was the main passing game contributor in this game. But again, this was mainly inflated again by a touchdown. But means the tight end position has been so lackluster this year, you can say that an eight reception, 68-yard day is actually pretty solid, but the touchdown just kind of put him over the top. Absolutely. No fan had a great game, 11 targets. I mean, the only thing we can actually chase in fantasy football is targets and carries for a running back opportunity. So you can't say, oh, he had eight catches this week. I'm going to chase that next week. Oh, he had a touchdown. I'm going to chase that. But what you can say is, wow, Drew Locke looked his way 11 times, um, which is something that obviously you want. Now, two weeks ago, Noah Fant had a weird thing. I guess they had a stomach bug in the Bronco locker room. Like literally it was a bad meal or something. Some guys got a mild case of like food poisoning and Noah Fant was literally like throwing up pregame and he tried to play, had to leave and was out of the game. Came back, he was healthy, boom, they obviously fed the man and, and he did well. To your case about Melvin Gordon, I mean, he's your RB2, maybe a flex, RB3, whatever. You got to start him if you don't have other guys. But, you know, he blew up against Kansas City in week 13, 15 for 131. Um, but other than that, his yardage since week seven coming out of the bye, uh, 68, 26, 18, 46, 84, 31, then 131, then 68 and 61. So, he gets a couple of catches, but I mean, again, if he doesn't score twice, he's not really going to be that cute, that uh, running back one. So against the chargers, I wouldn't expect a ton. You got to throw him out there, but I wouldn't be, I mean, if he doesn't score, you know, he's, he's laying out probably, you know, maybe 10, maybe 12 fantasy points. And that's just not enough from your RB two If you can get one of these other guys in. Right. For sure. That's, that's one thing. I, another thing that I look at for running backs is, is do they have the receiving work? So again, like I've, I've seemed to mention this kind of thing every episode, but I feel like the more people listen to me and the more I drive this home, probably the better. 
is with QBs, you want rushing floor and upside. And with running backs, you want someone who is game script uh, deep or not game script dependent. So, Proof. so for example, uh, let's take a look at Austin Eckler. So this is actually ties into the whole uh, rushing QB thing. So in the early season with Tyrod Taylor, Austin Eckler was doing well. He was a top five running back. He was doing good, but the receiving work wasn't nearly as high or as well as it is now with Justin Herbert, who is a slightly less mobile QB than say Tyrod, in my opinion. So that's another thing is running backs receiving uh, the receiving work is norm. It has a slight effect with rushing QBs due to pretty simply uh, let's, let's take Josh Allen, for example, how many times do you see Josh Allen doing a check down when instead he can do what he did this week and just go for two rushing scores? Uh, so that's something you need to be looking at is one, you want your running backs to have um, some receiving upside and some floor. And if they are with a rushing QB, that's both a plus and a negative because sometimes the, the receiving value is kind of diminished a little bit. Normally not a lot, but it, it, it has a slight effect. And then the rushing game is an improvement. I agree. It's, it's, a, it's the kind of the cheat code with quarterbacks if you can get somebody that can rush as well. Yeah, for sure. And like you guys said with Noah Fant, obviously I haven't chimed in a little bit. Noah Fant, I mean, we're chasing targets here. 11 targets is something that at the tight end position you almost never get. Like outside of Kelsey Waller, Kittle when he's healthy, and then Hawkinson every few games. 11 targets is something that doesn't come by very often because normally they're chasing for a touchdown with their up with the matchup in the upside, or you're going for basically the targets here. And, I mean, Noah Fant, in my opinion, is probably a top eight tight end this week coming up, and so that's something to keep in, uh, keep in mind. This week, 18 players received double-digit targets, so at least 10 targets. Two of those are running backs, David Johnson and J.D. McKissick. Four of those were tight ends, Fant, Waller, Kelsey, um, and uh, Logan Thomas. So, again, the other 12 were wide receivers. So, if you're able to chase anything in fantasy football for a receiving option, it's the opportunity, which is the targets. I agree with you there. All right, sure. so and go then... ahead and take a look at our next game, Green Bay Packers. Uh, if you guys haven't heard me say this for the 100th time, my favorite team. And then the Carolina Panthers, quick look at this game. Packers win wasn't a great win, but it was a win by eight points nonetheless. So I will take it uh, overall, though. Aaron Jones had a great day, 24.8 fantasy points. Great day on the ground with 20 rushing attempts. And he also had three receptions in the air, kind of helping balance things out. 145 rushing yards and a score. Overall, great day by Aaron Jones. Aaron Rodgers, though, slightly disappointing. Uh, for, for a guy who should be, in my opinion, in the MVP conversation for the year, he didn't really need to have, like, sure, the team won, but his stat line uh, was not very good. Uh, 143 yards and a touchdown. Didn't throw an interception, which is actually one of the few things that in this game is a plus for Aaron Rodgers. I feel like he played well. It's just the stats aren't there. The team got the win, and he did what was necessary to win. But for a QB, if, you're, if your goal is to kind of like win MVP, which I, I don't think it's Aaron Rodgers' goal this year. Um, but, yeah, if, you, if you're in the MVP race, you should be, in my opinion, looking to try and p- pad some stats if you can. 
But uh, overall, this was a run-heavy game by the Packers, and the QB wasn't very necessary. So whenever we get into this, that's basically what we're looking at. Aaron Jones, great day. Aaron Rodgers, not such a great day. But overall, Aaron Rodgers' season has been pretty low. Yeah, this is this is disappointing, though. I mean, there's no way around it. If he's your starting quarterback in a single quarterback league, he puts up 143 and one. I agree. Watching that game Saturday night, the game itself, he was fine, but he was frustrated. You could tell at the end, Devontae Adams was not able to get wasn't able to get free. Ten targets to Devontae, which is, you know, weekly, but seven targets, 42 yards. First time in eight games, Devontae Adams didn't have a touchdown. He also didn't even have a red zone target. So Lazard had that. Robert Tunyon had the lone Rodgers touchdown. Um, and then, of course, Jones on the ground. So Adams and Rodgers were not able to get open. And you could see on multiple plays, if you watch that game, Alan Lazard had a couple of drops. He had a couple, you know, he had one to extend a drive at third down at the end of the game on the sideline where he had kind of a tiptoe grab. The, the ball literally went through his hands on the sideline. And you could see Rodgers do his patented kind of, you know, rip the chin strap off and kind of, you know, give him an F-bomb, uh, you know, silent on the camera there because he just blew a big play. And I expect next week against the Titans, the Titans and Packers go up against each other. Obviously, it's going to be run game versus pass game in that one. I expect Rodgers and Adams to go nuts next week, but we'll get there. Um, it was disappointing if you had Rodgers and Adams frankly, because those are your horses. You rode them this far. It was frustrating. Jones obviously worked out a note on Jones. He had 90% of the snaps in the running back core. That is the most by him in his career so far. So Jamal Williams was not on the field as much, which is good news for Aaron Jones managers. Yeah. I was just going to talk about that personally. I mean, Aaron Jones at a 90% snap count is startling because as you said, it's the highest in his career. And normally this season, I mean, I do snap count posts every, uh, every week and normally I have to cover him. And he's normally at about 50 to 60% with Jamal Williams taking about 40%. So like in terms of value, if he's getting 90%, we can expect this high in numbers, but at the end of the day, he normally doesn't. So I expect him to regress back to at least what he normally had during the season, which if it's 70%, that's more than enough, especially versus a Titans defense or a Titans run defense that gives the fifth most to uh, f- fantasy running backs. I think the other startling thing for me was the, the DJ Moore, the six for 131. And obviously Robbie Anderson got handled with only five targets. Yeah. And actually Curtis Samuel led the team with nine targets. So DJ Moore had the most of it. A lot of that came on it on a deep bomb. Uh, six for 131 but Curtis Samuel had nine targets also apparently Matt Rule like quote-unquote benched uh, some of these guys that had the uh, COVID issue DJ Moore had the COVID situation but then they were close contact whatever and and so he benched or punished kind of some of these guys so more or I'm sorry Samuel didn't start the game he didn't even have a target in the first quarter but he had nine down the stretch and he actually led the team so look Samuel is a sneaky I've been playing him in standard leagues quite a bit just because like he gets rushing opportunity, like Brandon Ayuk, who we'll get to later on um, these wide receiver. Again, we we're just talking about quarterbacks that run wide receivers like Robert Woods that actually run the ball. Tyreek Hill every once in a while, dude, that is a huge, that's a, just another touch. They're usually wide open. Curtis Samuel is very effective. He gets literal t- like carries because he played some running back at Ohio state, obviously uh, Christian McCaffrey's out. So it's been very interesting to watch Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson seems to be the number one look uh, with this history with Matt Rule back to Temple and all that. But 
Moore, I think, is the most talented wide receiver, but I think Curtis Samuel is the most versatile weapon in the pass catching. So it's very interesting to see what they do there. And then again, another, I wouldn't say a dud because this man has helped carry so many people off the waivers when CMC went down, but to just get 16 total touches for 62 total yards out of Mike Davis was certainly a, uh, a bummer there. And if you had Teddy in super flex leagues, um, no passing scores, he did have a rushing score, but not much there. So overall outside of DJ Moore and um, uh, Aaron Jones, uh, and maybe that Robert Tunyon touchdown, the rest of all these weapons, which there's a lot of fantasy names in this game, the rest of them pretty much let you down in your semifinals. Right. So I just want to get back to the Devonte Adams uh, point real quick. So I think, I, I did the work for your draft guide earlier, and I think you read my like little uh, player profile from him. And I know that uh, I'm pretty sure that you know that I was a really big fan of Devontae Adams going in. Um, I tried to be very unbiased with this one, but again, like the stats were there. Um, I think the most important one that I want to mention, though, is that over over 2019, and heading into the 2020 season, he had a 30% target share or around a 30% target share, which is one of the best. And anything considered 30 plus is considered elite. But what's even more important is that in the 2019 season, heading into the 2020 season, Devontae Adams was getting close to a 40% target share whenever they were in the red zone. So that's insane. This is this is the main reason why I really like Devontae Adams heading into the year, other than just tr- trying to be as unbiased as I can. The stats were there. The The guy gets 40% of the targets inside the red zone. So he's a, he's a touchdown threat. Sure. The yardage hasn't been there three times in his career. He's hit somewhere between 997 to 999 yards. So he fell short of a thousand yards, like three times, but normally every year that this man plays, he's getting a double digit a touchdown season except for 2019 which i was predicting would have a bounce back year with the exception of week two when he got injured with that turf toe situation then he was out week three and four obviously they had the bye week from week six uh, including week one when he had 17 targets which is ridiculous from week six on he's had single digit targets twice week 11 and 12 when he had nine so he's he's pretty much had double digit targets every single game this year that he's been healthy. And he's had over 10 receptions four different times. I mean, Devonte Adams is elite and you, you know, having the conversation of who's the best receiver, the running back, the quarterback, it's always variant because they're all different styles of players. Um, but what he and Rogers are able to do is a shorter game version of, of the connection between Mahomes and Hill. So Clearly, I'm not comparing them because Hill and Mahomes are more of deep bomb ability connection. But in, in between the 20s, in the red zone, needing a third down, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, and and um, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I think Kyler and Nuke are, are getting there as well. But um, just phenomenal to watch this guy go to work. And thankfully, finally, we get to see him and Derrick Henry go head-to-head on Sunday night this week in the uh, fantasy championship. It's pretty incredible. Right. No, I feel like this is going to be a really interesting game. Uh, one thing to note, though, is that uh, I know I like I love my Packers a lot. But again, I, I will be the first to admit that our rush defense is absolutely terrible. So I'm just going to say Derek Henry is going to continue doing what he's done <laughs> as of late. He's going to tear us to shreds. I, I 
I don't see a reality where he scores less than 30 fantasy points this week. I will I, say, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be Derek Henry. Um, obviously Ryan Tannehill is effective. And again, we got a lot of, I mean, we still got, you know, 13 games or whatever to cover. So we'll get to all these players, but um, Derek Henry is going to do what he does on the ground. Ryan Tannehill is going to be efficient, should be fine, but the Packers secondary is very effective, not the front seven. So Henry should move. Also the Titans secondary is terrible. Marvin Jones went off on him last week. Devonte Adams runs laps around Marvin Jones. And I love Matt Stafford but he's not Aaron Rodgers either. So I think Aaron Rodgers and, and Devonta Adams make up for this. Also something to note, again, when you're thinking about the game inside the game, Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams are the type of players where if they have a dud game, it's almost like Rodgers like takes it personally. And he goes out just to prove that he's still Aaron Rodgers next week. I, I, I straight up expect Devonta Adams to have 12, 15 targets, maybe 10 receptions, 100 yards plus, maybe a couple of touchdowns just to prove they're the best. And we'll see what happens, obviously. But I do think it was an Aaron Jones game this week against the Lions, who were also horrendous. I think they maybe flip the script a little bit and get Devontae involved uh, more next week. So I'm pretty pretty pumped on that game for the uh, for the final there. But um, we do have Detroit and Tennessee coming up, so we can just move on to Derrick Henry if we'd like. For sure. And like, uh, like you said, with Matthew Stafford, I mean, Stafford was playing at, I, w- he was playing at a pretty much a huge injury. I mean, we, he, he thought the entire week, the entire week we thought with those bruised ribs that he was not going to play. He's a warrior, goes out there, obviously doesn't finish the game. But I mean, as you said, with this Tennessee pass defense, he still was able to do wreak havoc on this Tennessee pass defense. And him and Henry, or Henry's going to be an issue for the Packers, but I mean, this pass defense is not not something to be worried about for this Green Bay team. Totally agree. All right, so just just a real quick though, I want to get some just just a quick some being this is kind of regarded as one of the more interesting games of the week. I want to get some bold predictions, just one bold prediction each person. Uh, that you think will happen in this game. So mine was that Derrick Henry is definitely scoring 30 or more fantasy points. Anything under that is a disappointment in my eyes. Uh, bold prediction uh, with the Tennessee and Packers game. Bold prediction, uh, Devontae has 200 receiving yards. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Marquez Valdez scaling gets um, 80 and a touchdown. Boom. All right. I, I like all those picks. All right, so basically, like like I mentioned, I like Derrick Henry a lot this week. Uh, how could you not? He's one of the best running backs in the league, playing one of the worst rushing defenses in the league. Uh, and then, like you guys also mentioned, I'm just kind of repeating what you guys have said, but again, Adams and Rodgers is going to do well. And I, I kind of agree with the MVS pick. I feel like he could kind of sneakily get in there and score around 15 fantasy points because, uh, again, the Titans uh, – Pass defense is not good. And I feel like in order to kind of keep up with the Titans this week, we're probably going to have to pass on them where their defense is a little more weak. I think the Packers smash them. Interesting. That's a, interesting. I don't know. This game, I think this game could stay close. I obviously would take the Packers, but I don't know if this is going to be a smash game. I mean, it's going to be an offensive shootout. Both teams either have a major defensive problem, whether it's the pass defense for Tennessee and then the run defense, which for the Packers is god-awful. 
But something to keep in mind, I mean, Tannehill, five total touchdowns. This team probably looked the best they have versus Jacksonville and then now Detroit. I mean, they have a lot of momentum coming in. There's a chance that they could pull this off. Personally, I would take the Packers. But fantasy-wise, this team, I mean, we kind of thought, I mean, obviously coming in, we didn't know if they were going to be as good as they were at um, the final stretch with Tannehill in 2019. But this team has come out and been arguably one of the best fantasy teams and for an offense that we didn't really think that was going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just think, you know, the Packers are going for the number one seed. The Saints did not look like themselves, obviously, with Drew Brees coming back. They're a little bit beat up on defense at this point. Packers have a real opportunity to be the number one seed. Again, even with that ugly win, I think that Rodgers, like, I don't know, man. (laughs) I've been watching the guy for 10-plus years. Um, You know, again, I grew up when he was going to Cal and watched him in college as well. Just like his demeanor, he's the type of dude to come out and want to throw for 400 yards just to prove a point. And Look, the Titans are very good. They've beaten very good teams. I'm not. I love the Titans. They're my dark horse in the AFC. I think they have a chance to beat the 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 the, the uh, Chiefs even in a one on one. They almost beat them last year. Whatever. That's a different discussion. This particular game in Lambeau Field, Sunday Night Football. I just think the Packers are going to have more with it. And if Henry isn't Henry, I'm not sure Tannehill is going to have five touchdowns in him against this game. And if it's a shootout, I'm going to take Rodgers. Yeah, I absolutely wouldn't bank on five total touchdowns for Tannehill almost any any game. I mean, the, Detroit, they obviously – Jeff Okuda has been struggling. Their entire secondary is beat up and is just barely playing. So it, it's going to be a much harder test for the Green, uh, against the Green Bay Packers. But I do want to move on to the Detroit Lions side and talk about uh, one quick guy, DeAndre Swift. And I want to know your, your guys' take. Obviously, Swift is going to finish out strong being again the workhorse that we thought he, he was going to be and was for the first few, or first week before the concussion but in terms of the rookies for 2021 redraft where do you have them where, where would you have swift rank because personally i would have him at two behind jonathan taylor but i would kind of know want to know wow that's tough um man i will just be honest i don't have them written down or, or planned out right now but just kind of off the top um I think what Cam Akers would be able to do with the Rams if the Rams turn into a run first offense even more next year behind a healthy offensive line and whatever. Um, I, I think I would take JT one, probably Cam Akers. And then for me, it's really a toss up between Swift and JK Dobbins. Ingram's going to be gone or ineffective. It's really a matter of what they do with Gus Edwards. Um, I love what JK Dobbins can do though. Right. No, actually, I, I kind of agree with Sky's list pretty much completely. At first, I was thinking, I, I was kind of going with you, like JT and then uh, Swift. But yeah, no, I feel like it, it depends on kind of the moves that kind of happened during the offseason, obviously. But if if situations change, I feel like Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, or maybe even possibly Clyde Edwards Hilaire could easily jump uh, Swift, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm also I'm going to throw this out there this week um, just as a preview. He's going up against Tampa Bay and uh, Tampa Bay is, is legit. And and we just saw the Bengals embarrass the Steelers overall, but they, but more so Gio Bernard, like the ghost of Gio Bernard was able to run all over the Steelers. Frankly, they're beat up in the secondary, they're beat up in the linebackers, you know, TJ Watt can only do so much to it is not what he was early in the season. So they are not the, the strongest 
uh, rush defense anymore. I feel good about Jonathan Taylor in your championship where everybody was terrified a couple weeks ago. I feel good about him this week. On the other side, Tampa Bay, I think, is number one with maybe New Orleans up there as well. Swift gets Tampa Bay, still has Adrian Peterson for short yardage, still has on Johnson, still has a pass uh, first offense with Daryl Bevel taking over. Um, if it's Chase Daniel, I feel better about the run game. And look, again, if you have – it's like Melvin Gordon. If you're playing Swift, it's because you have to. If he's your RB2 or your, or your flex or your RB3 and you have to play him, play him. But don't get cute and play him over other question mark guys. Like, honestly, if Tony Pollard's a starter again, I'm playing Tony Pollard. I'm playing Jeff Wilson if Mostert's out. Um, Cam Akers I feel better about over Swift. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, even in a timeshare, I'm playing him over Swift. Uh, potentially this week, just to be in that matchup. So just, I just wanted to bring that up because I know he's a hot name. It's the rookies. We always get excited about rookies this time of year. They're finally coming out of the cocoon. We've waited all season for these guys. It happens every single season, and I'm just as happy as everyone else. But let's keep the excitement to like a game-by-game -game analysis. I don't like Swift this week but, uh, against the Bucks. Right. No, I, I agree. I think it's hard to like any running backs against the Buccaneers. We've just seen what they've done all season to running backs. Uh, I kind of agree. But again, like you mentioned, uh, if you if you have better options, you should obviously be starting them. But it's likely that with the way the season has been, you probably don't. So you may have to just throw them in as a flex play. But again, yeah, no, I know I agree with that completely. Um, you guys just want to head on to our next game. Uh, we can go ahead and do Houston Texans at Indianapolis Colts. If we take a quick look at this game, I feel like it's pretty interesting. Uh, Deshaun Watson did very well. 23.42 fantasy points. Had a great day in the air with 373 yards and two touchdowns. On the ground, a, a solid day, but nothing super special. Six rushing attempts for 25 yards. And I feel like the kind of the dark horse that we should talk about in this one. And uh, I feel like uh, Advocate uh, kind of likes this player a lot. And he's mentioned him a few times a few weeks ago as somebody who he thought could step up kind of late in the season. Uh, Zach Pascal, five receptions, 79 yards and two touchdowns. Obviously, most of the scores have come or most of the points have come from the two touchdowns. But again, he had more receptions than any other receiver on the team. But again, this was mostly a rushing game with uh, Jonathan Taylor. But again, uh, slot receivers with Philip Rivers generally have done pretty well this season. And we kind of saw that this week with the two touchdown performance by Zach Pascal. Advocate, tell us more about Zach Pascal. Okay, so I kind of talked about him early on in the season, but Zach Pascal, I mean, we saw Paris Campbell week one. We all got excited about Paris Campbell because he was manning the slot. T.Y. Hillen was on the outside. And we go into week two, and Paris Campbell's there, and then tears his PCL, and they were like, oh, what to do? So Zach Pascal at the time was like 1% owned. He basically was not there. And we've seen a tendency with, I mean, Keenan Allen with Phillip Rivers. We've seen tendencies with a guy and a slot receiver with Philip Rivers tend to do well. So Zach Pascal, obviously he's the, the the worst of those options realistically. However, this guy, there's a few weeks, like a few weeks in the year where he'll get six, seven targets, end up scoring and end up outperforming both Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton. And this was just one of those games. Do I trust in him moving forward? Absolutely not. But it's something to keep in mind. For for even Paris Campbell next year, if when, when he comes back, if Philip Rivers is still there, which – I don't know if we expect him to be, 
But if he is, Paris Campbell, like we can trust Paris Campbell in that slot role. And Zach Pascal, every once in a while does go off, but it kind of solidifies that if there is a slot receiver there, he end up, ends up getting a boost because of Philip Rivers. I think that's a great call. Another mention on the Colts here is T.Y. Hilton. Um, he has crushed the uh, Texans over his career. I had basically like a 15-minute take on my podcast, uh, the Candlestick Kids podcast, um, about T.Y. Hilton, his career. He's played 18 games, one of them being a playoff game. He has 98 receiving yards coming into this one. So now he has, what, 102 uh, total in his career versus the Texans alone, over 1,700 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns, yada, yada. Now, he had four for 71, which isn't great. It's only 11 PPR fantasy points. But if you throw a touchdown in there, if he catches a deep bomb at the end of the game, it's basically over 105 catches and a touchdown. So T.Y. Hilton, I think, is still weekly startable. He's been obsolete all season long, clearly a part of this offense. So I like T.Y. Hilton moving forward. Zach Paschal into the dark horse. JT crushing it 20 for 95 and a touchdown total on the day. Looking good. Another mention I want to make here is actually David Johnson. So 11 targets, he didn't do anything on the ground, but 11 targets, 11 receptions, and 106 yards through the air. Look, if David Johnson, who I don't like as a runner much anymore, he's obviously lost his burst, but if they're going to use him with Duke Johnson out, if David Johnson's going to take on the Duke Johnson role and be able to run, I love him as an RB2. What they can't have is Duke Johnson trying to be David Johnson because Duke can't run like David, if that makes sense. So if David Johnson's going to get these targets and receptions out of the backfield, that is another cheat code in fantasy football. So I love the performance from Zach Pascal, and I loved it from David Johnson. Also, QT and Chad Hansen um, remain relevant. They both score as well. Brandon Cook, six for 59, kind of becoming the – he's the number one, but he's kind of been least effective for fantasy purposes. Um, and Deshaun Watson, you already mentioned. So pretty pretty standard game here, but I did like the performances uh, behind the curtain a little bit from David Johnson through the air and, and uh, Zach Pascal. Yeah, I mean Duke Johnson's a name or Duke Johnson obviously was out this game. David Johnson with 11 targets. It's going back to Arizona like last yep. year when at the beginning where he had a plethora of t- targets and he wasn't a good runner by any stretch. But mm-hmm. I mean in this game he didn't even perform that well. Only eight rushes for 28 and then but he had 11 targets, which is something we normally don't see and it seems like with Duke Johnson out if David Johnson is manning that Duke Johnson role along with him being the primary runner that seems to be what we would prefer in terms of a fantasy aspect. Obviously, this week, um, going up against, uh, let's let's see who who is it. I just had it just a moment, but going up Cincinnati. against Cincinnati, yeah, going up against Cincinnati. If if David Johnson's taking on that role again, I have no problem putting him in. Like, obviously, a lot of us have had him way back in rankings because he's limited. Whether it's with Duke Johnson, somebody else there. I mean, we could put him in the t- like as a low end RB two, even a mid RB two, going into this week if he's going to be able to man those targets again. If Duke Johnson's out, I agree. All right, we can go ahead and move on to the next game, and the next game is the New York Jets versus the LA Rams. And I got to say, the Jets fumbled this one. You had all the moments to get Trevor Lawrence, and I, I know the I know the players hate this uh, hate this idea that they are tanking because at the end of the day, it hurts their status. But the Jets organization fumbling this and not being able to get Trevor, how big of a whiff is that? 
I think what's ridiculous about this game, and I agree with you, um, <clears throat> I've actually heard a couple of, uh, of players talk about this idea of tanking and stuff. The tanking idea, whether teams come out and obviously do it or they don't, is a GM head coach thing. It's not a bad idea. Like in your dynasty league for fantasy football, if your team sucks and you don't have prospects, you almost you don't throw games like don't fill in your roster. Never be that person. Always field a team because that's the way to do it. But you put out a team and like, man, if I lose, I lose, whatever. You're looking at next year, yada, yada. You're trying to build draft picks, that whole thing. Well, NFL teams do it, too. What's different, and I've, I've heard NFL players say this, is like the NFL players, for the most part, they are not about this. Here's a bunch of things. First of all, they're professional athletes. Most of these guys on the Jets, right, um, have been uh, uh, star athletes in high school to get into college and play D1 football. Then they're probably studs in college, obviously, to make it the pros. Most of them on winning teams, their winning is in their DNA. Then they end up on the Jets. And they get Adam Gase, who doesn't care. And they have a GM who's terrible. And they have a team that just has no chance. So then they end up in this position. Half of those guys aren't going to be on the roster next year. They could care less whether they get Trevor Lawrence or not. They're trying to win games because they all have contractual um, uh, incentives, money-wise. And they're trying to get other people to look at them so they can get the hell out of the New York uh, organization, (laughs) potentially. So we always talk about it like, oh, they tank for Tua, right? They tank for Trevor, blah, blah, blah. Like we see it, the media sees it, the GMs probably talk about it. It is a thing. But for the players, most of them do not like this. So they come out and play against a a Rams team who obviously slept on them. What blows my mind is that the Rams, as talented as they are on the defense, arguably the best defense in the NFL, and their offense, which can turn it on at any given time at home, They couldn't just sober up, wake up, and just start beating the Jets. Like the Steelers. The Steelers couldn't just be like, oh, man, that's weird. How are the the Bengals up 17-0? Like, oops. Well, no worries. Let's run a couple plays. Let's score a few touchdowns. Let's shut them down. Let's just win the game. Like, we obviously came in flat. We'll fix it. They couldn't do it. These are professional athletes. It matters. Shouts out to the Jets, dude. Straight up, shouts out to the Jets, and good for them. My man, Frank Gore. Lifer Frank Gore, longtime 49er fan. Obviously, I hope he gets a one-day contract for the Niners next year, retires as a 49er. I think he'll stick around until his kid comes in, but that's another conversation. He gets the game ceiling catch for a first down. Shouts out to my man. He also gets a touchdown on the other side for the Rams. Goff, Akers, Woods does get a touchdown, a 40-yard run. Cup, 39 yards only. Pretty flat for the Rams. Tyler Higby, though, four catches, 67 yards and a touchdown. So really it was Gore. And Tyler Higby pretty much in this game for fantasy uh, opportunity, pretty flat all around. And again, shouts out to the Jets. Yeah, I think the main thing for me is obviously, I mean, obviously the Jets fumbling the bag and not being able to tank, but obviously their players at the same time contractually don't want to do it because they want to make money. Like for people who don't understand why they wouldn't want to do it, the organization wants to do it. However, the players don't want to would never want to buy into the fact that, oh, we're just going to lose so that I end up getting replaced. That's their mindset going into it. So, but the other thing is the Cam Akers situation. Obviously, we've heard Cam Akers now has high a high ankle sprain and is out for next week. So, in your guys' opinion, who do you value more? I mean, obviously, for me, it's obviously Daryl Henderson, but if if it comes to where you have to start Daryl Henderson, how do you view him? And would you be confident starting him or as like an RB two, or would it be like just a last chance scenario? Uh, Sack, why don't you jump in? It's been a minute. 
All right. So for me, it's, I agree with you. It would be a Daryl Henderson. So if you scroll back on my Instagram page, back before the draft was even, even happening, right? I made a bold prediction and I thought that uh, Daryl Henderson would be like a top 20 running back, but this is before they drafted Cam Akers and obviously ruined and then decided to go kind of by committee, except as of late where Akers has gotten a majority of the work. But yeah, I I feel like uh, Daryl Henderson is the more talented running back in my opinion. And I feel like he should get more work, whether that happens or not kind of depends, but, I believe that the talent will kind of show itself whenever he gets some touches on the field. Uh, overall, though, for me at right now, just because I'm not sure how the backfield is going to shape out, I'm thinking kind of a high-end flex play. It kind of being optimistic about that. But again, it, it depends on matchups and it depends on who's available on your team in the waiver wire. But again, if I was to kind of just like put him in a distinct category, probably high-end flex at the moment. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm going to put him up in that uh, Naheem Hines, Wayne Gallman, kind of Leonard Fournette, Lim Bowden, uh, Salvin Ahmed kind of positioning there. He's at Seattle. Seattle's not great against the run, but they're also not bad. Their defense has clearly gotten much better since Jamal Adams came back healthy. Um, and, you know, Malcolm Brown is there, but he's a plotter. Malcolm Brown could end up getting the touchdowns, but we've seen some bursts from Daryl Henderson. Um, but again, against Seattle, they're going to have to throw the ball, period. And that is going to be Darrell Henderson out of the backfield. That's also going to be Cup and Woods all day long. Um, I'm going to take Darrell Henderson, but again, he's a low-end RB2 for me. For sure. All right, and we'll go ahead and move into the next one. This one was Tampa Bay versus Atlanta. And I got to say, Atlanta, how in, the, how in the world do you do this? It seems like it's all, every other week that this thing happens. But- Consistency is key, my man. Hey, they're they're consistent at one thing, and it's choking. But but with um with this game, obviously, it was an offensive game. Brady and Ryan both absolutely killed it. Um, obviously, in the first part of the game, Brady and Ryan both didn't look too hot. But as this game kept on going on, Ryan and uh, Ryan and Brady looked like the quarterback ones that we thought they were going to be. Um, Fournette, in my opinion, is the most kind of shocking. Obviously, he he had fourteen for ninety two and two touchdowns. That was that was solid. Um, I do want to know you, your guys' take, though. They do have Detroit, which is by far one of the easiest run defenses in, in the NFL. With Ronald Jones possibly coming back, do you expect Ronald Jones to just take over that role again? Or nah. is it something where Fournette like, jumps in now? No, I don't think so. Um, it's a COVID situation, but it's also injury. So he was on the COVID IR, but the same week last week, he actually had the same operation. Um Ironically, that uh, uh, Chris Godwin had um, where he actually got a pin inserted into his finger. Um, so he's not playing at 100 percent. Fournette did just fine. To be honest with you, Brady just went out. I mean, there was two other touchdowns in this game that were left on the field. Um, Mike Evans and I believe, oh, was it? It was Gronk or Godwin. I can't remember. Both of those guys got tackled within the five yard line. Then they turned around, handed off to Fournette. Those were his two touchdowns. So he literally had like fell into the end zone twice. Brady could have had over 400 yards and four touchdowns. It's a totally different conversation. Fournette's not special anymore. He got a lot of work in Jacksonville. That's why he put up the yards, but we all knew he was never really that amazing. I think Ronald Jones will become the starter, but we know that Ronald Jones is on that pitch count. He fumbles, he misses a block, he drops a pass, whatever. He's probably going to get benched. I'm worried about both of them. I'm not excited about either of them. And I'll tell you right now, I will tar- I will take Darrell Henderson 
and Melvin Gordon, who we've talked about already. I'll take both those guys with the sure workload over both Fournette and Rojo. Uh, that's pretty interesting. I, I somewhat agree with what you're saying. Uh, however, I don't know about the last part. I do feel like with the matchup that taking a shot on Rojo may pan out and may be worth it. But yeah, I agree. I've, until we know what the uh, situation is as far as how the workload will be split for the Buccaneers backfield, it's kind of an avoid situation. But I feel like I would rather have Rojo over, well, maybe not Henderson, but it, I think I would rather play Rojo over Gordon. Yeah, we're, we, aren't, we aren't sure with this injury. Um, obviously, it's uh, I'm pretty sure it was one of his fingers. I think it was, was it his pinky finger or was it his index? I'm not sure which finger, but either way, that's not good. Yeah, either way, like obviously, it's going to affect how you carry the football, everything like that. So, I mean, Godwin missed a, like two to three weeks off of this. So, Rojo could easily miss a week also yep. on the COVID list. So, I mean, if he is ruled out, Fournette's a solid play, but at the same time, we're not too excited about it. And that's something to keep in mind. And talk about bad running backs. Todd Gurley, this man has fallen off. Well, he's 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 done. Todd Gurley's done. I want to finish up on, on Fournette and Rojo really quick, and I'll move to Todd Gurley. Uh, I don't think Rojo plays. If Rojo plays, I'm fading both of them. That's just me personally. I don't trust either one of them, and I'm not going to put my fantasy championship on the line with two running backs. A, I don't trust. B, Brady doesn't trust. C, Arians doesn't trust. And, and D, may not get enough workload. They could eat each other's workload. Either one of them could leave the game at any time. I'm not, I'm just going to stay away from the backfield. If Fournette is alone, I'm okay with him as my RB2. Against the Lions, we just saw what Aaron Jones did to them. Fournette could go for 100 and a score easy. That's fine. Um, I could also see the, the Buccaneers toning it down through the air a little bit. They can throw all over. We just saw Tannehill absolutely smash. Uh, when Derrick Henry was also smashing the Lions. So Brady and, and running backs could get it done. Uh, I just think that Tampa Bay is going to try to just, you know, win the game, get out of there, don't be stupid and, and and lose to one of these bad teams, get in the playoffs. Also, they are looking to playoffs, so Rojo could just be later. Todd Gurley is done. He's done, done. Like, I'm not playing him fantasy football. I'm not drafting him next season. He is in the fantasy football Hall of Fame for what he did for three or four years in fantasy football. It is super duper sad that this guy is 26 year old, 26 years old on a human level, but for NFL purposes, he's toast. He's going to be Mark Ingram next year. He's going to land a job um, because he's a good clubhouse guy and you can use him in the goal line situations. But as far as fantasy goes, Todd Gurley is completely toast. Edo Smith. Now Raheem Morris came out and said that Edo Smith is the lead back. I don't know if I love that either. I'm fading the, Atlanta run game, which isn't even a run game. They throw the ball 80% of the time. I'm not playing them regardless. It's just, it's super sad to see Atlanta crumble once again. Julio Jones may come back, may not, but he's probably toast. Todd Gurley's toast at this point. Um, just a bummer to see these just like fantasy icons go down like this when you need them the most. And unfortunately, after two years of being Christian McCaffrey before Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley has been unusable. Uh, what is this three years in a row in the fantasy championship at least two yeah it's two and the third one uh, I'm not sure about the fantasy like finals but the third one three years ago we were talking about Todd Gurley as the clear-cut number one dynasty running back and now three years later we're sitting at we're looking at Todd Gurley and we now basically see him as a shell of himself losing carries to Edo Smith who Edo Smith is not special by any means and this this running back group is just not great and at the end of the day even as we're talking about how it's a pass it's a passing team but at the end of the day, the running backs don't get much of those targets. You see the Ridley, Gage, 
normally Julio who's out. And then obviously they have a lot of wide receivers that they go to for about two to three targets. I mean, yep. there's Brandon Powell, there's Laquan Treadwell, there's mm-hmm. all of these guys. So at the end of the day, I wouldn't trust any of these guys. Yes. One could score for a touchdown, but at the end of the day, there's not a running back that I would touch. On that point, And I know we're not talking dynasty. I don't want to get down too big of a rabbit hole. We're already pretty long in the episode here, but there are two running backs. I'm not going to say their names because I'm not in the game of jinxing, but if you, put the math together. I'm pretty sure you can come up with who I'm talking about. There are two running backs that this year were in the top five that we were going to pick. I am not going to pick them in dynasty probably ever again. And in redraft next year, they, one of them might be in my top five. One of them is probably outside of my top 10. That's how quickly running backs can come and go in fantasy football. Now I think both these guys are going to be stud running backs for another two or three years, hopefully for NFL purposes, but because of injury, because of other situations, game script teammates, I just don't see it. So there are two running backs, unfortunately, that were top five picks this year that I'm probably going to be fading in redraft, definitely fading in dynasty, unfortunately. But I don't want to give them the Todd Gurley hex, <laughs> but Todd Gurley was Christian McCaffrey two years ago, and now he's literally unusable in fantasy football. I mean, I'm not going to say one of these names, but one of these names is losing touches to Tony Pollard, and Tony Pollard looks better. So not He's, trying to call any names. But. Tony Pollard is straight up better than he is, and he has been most of the season. So we can move on. I don't want to get too down that rabbit hole. We're going to go <laughs> get ourselves in trouble. Let's go on to uh, New England and Miami. All right, so New England versus Miami. So overall, this game was actually pretty interesting. So one thing that uh, I've noticed, and I think a lot of the – sports world of note has noticed is that bill belichick versus rookie qbs generally bill belichick and the patriots have favored very well against them but not this week Tua Tagovailoa and the dolphins end up getting the win i'm trying to find the stat line yes there it is so dolphins 22 patriots 12 overall did either team have great players this week uh, not really. Salvin Ahmed had a decent game, 21.7 points, which is actually pretty good, uh, mainly due to 23 rushes for 122 uh, rushing yards and a touchdown. But overall, low scoring game, only 34 points combined. It's kind of hard to have uh, anybody worth a whole lot uh, whenever the teams are only putting up around 30 points. But again, I, I feel like that's just something interesting to note is that Bill Belichick versus rookie QBs, generally the Patriots and Bill Belichick fare well. But again, not in this one. Cam Newton and the Patriots just didn't have enough juice to uh, to beat the Dolphins uh, this year. Uh, one interesting stat that I do want to point out that I uh, heard from Nick from BDGE is that the Dolphins are the only, only defense this year that have allowed these allowed as many touchdowns on defense as they have interceptions. Everybody else has allowed more touchdowns than interceptions that they have got on defense. I got to say, as a Dolphins fan, that is uh, a great sight to hear. I mean, Tua has been a good story, but at the same time, it's been our defense for the most part who's been carrying. Xavier Howard has played a fantastic season. Emmanuel Ogba, who was snubbed from the Pro Bowl, has also had a fantastic season. But the one thing I do want to point out with this Miami team is Miles Gaskin did test positive for COVID uh, last week. And it's likely he does, uh, if he's testing positive, it is likely he does not play week 16. Mm-hmm. So for what that means, that means that Salvin Ahmed 
versus the Las Vegas Raiders, in my opinion, is a great option. And if you're desperate at running back, if you lost Cam Akers, if you lost what could be a bad injury, a uh, season-ending injury for James Robinson, if you lost Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 49ers. For sure, 49ers with uh, Jeff Wilson probable or probable to play and most are most likely out. So Miles, or Miles Gaston's out, with, or most likely with the COVID test, testing positive. Salvin Ahmed, 22 rushes. That's something we can trust. And we know if you're getting a bulk of the carries, especially in this team with there being still Brita, Washington, and Laird, Salvin Ahmed is going to be, for my, in my opinion, an RB2 moving, moving forward to this game. Yep, I agree. I've got him in the middle of RB2s. I've actually got him right in between David Johnson and Melvin Gordon, so I feel good about him there. And look, I mean, Tua has been playing well. 145 and no passing touchdowns through the air, but he did have two rushing scores. That is great just for, like, team morale. When you're And Justin Herbert did it too, right? Burrow's done it a couple times this year. Jalen Hurts did it this week. When your quarterback, especially a rookie, drops back in the pocket, season opening, runs 10 five yards even and bowls his head gets smacked around but gets that touchdown that fires up the whole squad especially in a huge rival game obviously the bills have won the division at this point but the dolphins are looking to potentially compete for the division with the bills for the next decade because the patriots are no longer the patriots this is a huge game and i was really impressed by how the dolphins played um and again you know shouts out to our to our boy nick arcolano uh he and i actually kind of go way back um Long story short, Nick is one of the first independent podcasters I heard maybe five years ago. Loved his stuff. Got in touch with him. I brought him on my podcast a couple of years ago for my 100th episode. We're now approaching 350 episodes, but I had him on for my 100th episode. We had a one-hour session talking football, another hour session just like back behind the music or behind the behind the. Uh, uh, behind the brand, uh, BDGE, uh, Snacks Animal, the whole crew over there, how he's grown from guys like us who just do this for fun to bringing in 200K, uh, which is public knowledge, uh, but how he does it. So shouts out to Nick Ercolano, shouts out to BDGE, Big Dogs Gotta Eat Football, go follow them. Fantastic dude. Anyway, Miami's crushing it, really uh, stoked on that. The only guy for the Patriots I'm moderately interested in playing, and I'm not playing him, is Jacoby Myers. Seven catches, 101 yards, 10 targets. It's between him and Jim and uh, Demir Bird each week. You can't really bank on them, so I'm not playing any of these guys. I'm really sad to see my boy James White just kind of disappearing now in fantasy football. It's just not the same without Tom Brady there. Cam Newton is useless in fantasy. I know he's getting the rushing scores, but he doesn't do enough through the air. So if he doesn't score like this week, then he's literally just useless. So I'm not going to bank on that. If he's in two QBs or super flex, fine. But I'm, I'd rather do a, a play a Trubisky or, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> obviously you could have played Ryan Finley over him <laughs> this week. So I'm just, I'm not playing that. Um, you know, it's tough for the Dolphins to have Gaskin, Parker, and Gesicki out in this game and get a huge win over uh, still a very good Patriots defense with Gilmore obviously leaving for the season. Um is just very, very impressive. So, yo, uh, shouts out to the Dolphins and their fans. It's been a long time waiting, and uh, good for you, man. Uh, it's you and the Bills at the top at this point. Yeah, I agree. And, like, obviously our defense has brought us a lot of weight. And, but two has shown promise. I mean, like, scoring those two rushing touchdowns. He's been on and off this season, sometimes struggling with accuracy, trying to get the ball out sometimes before, like, getting sacked. But like you said, with Jacoby Myers, I will point out that Julian Edelman possibly could play. They might mm-hmm. shut him down for the season. That's entirely possible with them uh, eliminated from the playoffs. 
but I will say Myers is the most uh, the the nicest option in New England, although it's not the greatest. Now, uh, two questions: If Edelman comes back at all, are you well, okay? We have one week. If you have your fantasy championship in week seventeen, a don't do that next year. B B maybe you wait this week to see if Edelman comes back and plays and how they use him. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Are you even considering using Edelman anymore this season? It's either this week or next week. There's no chance in hell I'm playing Julian Edelman over whoever else I've been playing the rest of the season. I mean, if it's between him and Jacoby Myers, I would take Edelman over Myers because they mm. play basically the same role. Um, that's basically what Myers is there. He's a slot receiver, just like Edelman was, and he basically mm. commands his targets. So if mm. it's between them two, I'm taking Edelman. But if it's between anyone else, I'm taking the other person. Oof, yeah, I agree. Next next question, serious question, and maybe not as much of a topic of conversation anymore because Tua is winning games. At this point, you're looking to get in the playoffs. You're looking to make a run. As a Dolphins fan, fantasy aside, as a Dolphins fan, are you good enough with Tua Tungavailoa right now going down the stretch, or would you rather um, put it, if you were making the call, put it back in the hands of uh, Fitzpatrick, veteran? I think we should give it to Tua. Personally, I don't know if we make – I'm a firm believer that we can make the playoffs, but it's between us and basically the Ravens to get yep. that final spot. It, and it's going to be tough, honestly. Um, obviously, they have an easier slate. They had Jacksonville. We had New England, and obviously we play Buffalo um, coming up soon. But it's – like, I want to still get Tua that experience because at the end of the day, he's our franchise quarterback, and that's yep. something we should trust in. And obviously, our defense plays well enough to keep us in the game. But I think it's good to get him that experience, especially with, like, he's been on and off at times. He's been struggling at some points. And, I mean, Fitzpatrick has those mishaps as well. He just yep. doesn't care who he's throwing the ball to if they're if they're double covered or if they're triple yep. covered. He's just going to throw it. Versus Tua, he's more, like, he's conservative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. And and with him having Gaskin, Parker, and Gasicki out again, he's doing more with less, which is very impressive, especially as a rookie. Dude, all these rookie quarterbacks, I mean, the ones that are playing at least, uh, Jalen Hurts the last couple of weeks, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, um, Tua, they have all been, honestly, all of them. And I had high hopes for <laughs> Justin Herbert, of course, just being a fan. But they've all exceeded expectations in their limited opportunity this year. I am so stoked for this class three years from now like they're gonna be all phenomenal but um if it was me i you know i think that i agree with you i would roll with tua but um i just don't see the big play but i think what's maybe more important for the dolphins right now is to not lose the game Fitz can throw up 400 yards and four touchdowns but he could also throw up four picks and that could end up losing the game tua is more of a game manager and i think will develop so i agree uh with you both um actually have some rushing upside, which is uh, pretty impressive for both of them. But uh, we can move on here with Chicago and uh, Minnesota. All right. So Chicago versus Minnesota. So in this game, Trubisky versus Cousin or versus uh, Kirk Cousins, 202 passing yards, one passing touchdown, 34 yards on the ground. We also had David Montgomery, 32 rushing attempts, which is a lot for 146 rushing yards and a touchdown. So those are, and then Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook also had a great performance, 26.9 fantasy points. And his stat line was 24 rushes for 132 yards and a touchdown. And then Jefferson. Jefferson continues to play very well, eight receptions for 104 yards, no touchdown. 
but again, uh, Jefferson's been playing very well. So overall with this game, Bears win 33-27, Montgomery being the main reason doing so by putting up 146 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I, I want to know, though, is Montgomery somebody next year that you guys are targeting? Because I feel like his price will be kind of steep due to what has been happening during the late part of the season. Uh, I, I'll, I'll jump in here really quick. Um, first of all, I think the biggest note on this week is David Montgomery had a, a season-high 32 carries. I would imagine that's a career-high as well, being totally transparent. I didn't look it up. But considering he had one game this season with more than 21 carry or more than 20 carries, that was week eight versus uh, New Orleans when he had 21, um, 32 carries is just insane. So uh, that was a great workload. Clearly, he gets Jacksonville and Green Bay coming up next. They should give it to him 50 times and they'll be just fine. Am I targeting him next year? Yes. Uh, the problem is, I agree with you that it's going to be steep. And I think the biggest reason is that we, we've all forgotten about Tariq Cohen and since Tariq Cohen's been out, David Montgomery is getting all of the uh, targets and receptions as well. So that's boosting. Now, look, he's been playing excellent. He's shown the big, the burst. He was like slow as a rookie or something like, you know, we've seen a little bit of these rookie slumps. Jonathan Taylor, frankly, looked bad until about three weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden he looks like a top 10 back in the NFL. Sometimes it takes these guys a little bit to find the creases, find the seams, whatever. CEH, in my opinion, hasn't really impressed me yet either. I know he's hurt now, but it just wasn't what we expected right away. That being said, David Montgomery now currently looks very good. So if the Bears continue to run him like that and they bring Cohen back, that's what's going to decide it for me. If David Montgomery creeps into third round, second round, even the way that he's going to finish, especially if he goes off this week and wins a bunch of people championships, He's going to be a second rounder. There's no chance, <laughs> no chance. I don't trust the bears. I don't trust Trubisky. Cohen's coming back. I, no, there's no way. If he's in the fourth round or something, and he's my James Conner pick this year, which obviously didn't work out, but if he's in that range uh, from last year and I can take a stab like a Chris Carson this year or something like that. Um, yes. I will take him as my RB two or RB three um, or something like that, but he's not going to be my RB one. No way. Yeah, this gives me a lot of, uh, in my opinion, obviously they're different players, but Kenyon Drake vibes from last year to this year. I mean, he had a lot of easy matchups at the very end. That's a great comp. That's a great comp. At the very end. I mean, looking into the draft, I mean, we at the beginning of the offseason, off um, I mean, Kenyon Drake went off, and then we started looking at as a third round, and then you look, people keep on recency bias. It starts to pick up, and then he got to the 1-2 turn, and now you're sitting there looking at an unproven guy who's coming off those final stretches of games and you look at those final stretch and you're like, can that do itself? And you draft mm -hmm. in the first round. And obviously that semi hasn't panned out, but I will say that is a, a good comparison, but David Montgomery, he's run the most routes in the NFL since Tariq Cohen's been out. That's he's insane. Got, he's got an <laughs> insane amount of usage. Like in terms of like that, like he's going to get overdrafted in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I agree. hundred percent agree with all that. I think someone that could get underdrafted, though, and I think um, this is an interesting topic. I mean, Allen Robinson's a free agent this offseason. I so love like, Allen Robinson. I'm not sure what uh, happens here. I think Allen Robinson signs elsewhere. I don't think he wants to be there. But Darnell Mooney is somebody that I've kept my eye on. Like, he's played well <laughs> as of recent. I mean, he <laughs> even got a touchdown in this game. Him, along with whoever else they bring, if they bring in nobody else, Darnell Mooney is going to command targets if, if that's – 
how it comes to be. I think they end up going after a guy. If they can't re-sign Allen Robinson, I think they bring in a guy like Kenny Galladay, who's from the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, that's somebody cool. to target. However, Darnell Mooney's a guy that could have like big dynasty value and even 2021 redraft value. I I think that's a good call, man. All that kind of sneak attack stuff, Galladay. I've been trying to figure out where Galladay and Allen Robinson are going to go. As a Niner fan and sack, I'm sure you've thought about this for the last 15 years of Aaron Rodgers' career. Um, well, I guess they had Jordy Nelson and, and Devontae for a little bit, but who's going to be that number two in Green Bay, right? They haven't found one in the last five years at least. Who is that going to be? San Francisco uh, needs a number one. Debo is the man, but he's not a number one receiver receiver. Ayuk is incredible, not a number one receiver receiver. They're kind of utility guys, very effective, clearly. But if we can get a number one wide receiver and a number one quarterback, I think we like Deshaun Watson and like Kenny Galladay would be my dream as a 49er fan, but that's a little, little uh, overzealous. On Mooney, I agree with you. And I think the biggest thing is I think – all fantasy, unless you don't like the Bears for some reason, all fantasy managers have been rooting for Anthony Miller for three years. Um, he's always a dark horse. He's always a sleeper. He's always a breakout candidate preseason. He's always a, oh, awesome. I got him in the 10th round guy that you think is going to win your league. And then he becomes Anthony Miller, which is such a bummer. So he's not panning out, unfortunately. And very few guys, Devontae Parker, Corey Davis this year, finally, very few guys pan out after the third, fourth, fifth year for fantasy, at least. Darnell Mooney, I think, is a great call. Excellent, incredible athlete. If you watched a lot of Bears games, which I'm sure non-Chicago people have, but because we're fantasy nerds, I've spent too much time on Allen Robinson and Foles and Trubisky. Therefore, I watch Mooney stuff as well. This kid is always open, and he hasn't gotten the stats because he's underthrown, overthrown, or the ball is uncatchable to his left or right. He's constantly open. So is Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, for example. So, if Trubisky can just slow down, play the way he's playing right now, next season, he'll be fine. Allen Robinson leaves. Mooney becomes the number one. I think that's a great call. And I think he's worth a dynasty, super cheap buy. You can just throw into a package and redraft. We'll have to see what happens with Robinson and Trubisky. Obviously Foles is trash. He's gone, but Mooney, I think is a super sneaky um, name to keep in mind. And it's obviously too late to jump on the Jefferson train, but how about that story, man? He's absolutely phenomenal. For sure. Let's get into the uh, Cleveland Browns and those Giants. All right, so Cleveland Browns, New York Giants. Overall, this game was very low scoring, not much uh, to do here. Uh, Giants only scored six points, so obviously nobody on the Giants team did well. Colt McCoy was the starting QB uh, this week for the Giants. Uh, Barkley's been out. Gallman. Uh, had the nine rushing attempts, but only was able to turn it into 29 yards against the Browns defense. Again, this this is just going to be a constant theme, another constant theme that I continue to mention all the time. If the team isn't scoring points, neither really are the fantasy players. So six points doesn't get you anything for fantasy. There's no touchdowns being scored. There's barely any field goals with six points. Just nothing there. The Browns, on the other hand, score more than six points, but and they get 20. So this isn't like the type of 30-plus point games that we're trying to look for where everybody does well on a team, but this does good nonetheless. Baker Mayfield has a solid day, some that we normally haven't seen. We've seen him kind of more less accept like the game manager role, but in this game, 20.96 points is pretty decent. 297 passing yards, two 
passing touchdowns and 11 yards on the ground. Uh, Chubb in this game scores a rushing touchdown while also getting 15 rushes for 50 yards. And then Hunt kind of just disappeared a little bit in this game. Uh, Seven rushing attempts, which is half as much as Chubb for 21 yards. And then Hunt had three receptions in the air, but only managed to get seven yards on those. So Hunt was kind of a disappointment, only 5.8 fantasy points. A couple other players I want to mention, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry has actually played pretty decently without OBJ being the wide receiver one in Cleveland due to injury and him being placed on IR earlier in the year. Jarvis Landry in this game, seven receptions, 61 yards, and a touchdown. In games where Baker Mayfield is uh, stepping up his game a little bit, we have seen Jarvis Landry play pretty decently, and I feel like we can kind of expect that a little bit going forward. And then Austin Hooper was kind of a nice surprise this week, 15.1 fantasy points. And Austin Hooper caught a touchdown on five receptions for 41 yards. So that's pretty much the main reasoning why he had 15 points is because of the touchdown. Without it, he would have had a solid nine. Again, though, you're definitely going to be trusting a guy like Fant way more than you are a guy like Hooper due to just the insane target volume there for Fant. Uh, what's interesting here with uh, Nick Chubb, uh, I'll bring in Dalvin Cook and uh, Derrick Henry as well. These are like arguably your top three options at running back um, for fantasy football. All of them did well. All of them scored. All of them had over 100 yards. Well, Chubb didn't, but the other two went off. Is it possible that even that they did that well, that they were almost disappointing <laughs> this week because of the bar that all of them have set? Um Nick Chubb didn't score till almost the very end. And then he was just, he just sat out the final three drives. And to your point about Kareem Hunt kind of disappearing in this game, I would actually kick back on that and say that Kareem Hunt didn't disappear. That's Kareem Hunt's role in a neutral game script. This is not a game that the Browns came out and dominated or got dominated. When they were in a shootout with the Ravens and they had to throw the ball, they used Kareem Hunt. When they were up by two touchdowns early in the season in a bunch of games, they rested Nick Chubb, who already had 120 yards rushing, and they let Kareem Hunt gobble up the rest of it. Nick Chubb was out five games. Kareem Hunt got a bunch of work. When this is a close game, they couldn't run the ball. The Giants are actually surprisingly seventh against fantasy running backs. They couldn't run the ball. They could throw all over them. So other than Chubb getting a breather, um, Kareem Hunt wasn't getting work because they frankly didn't need him. And it's not as much of a committee as I think people think in my opinion I have Nick Chubb in a lot of leagues I have Kareem Hunt in every league that I have Nick Chubb Um, I rostered them both most of the season I've been playing both every single week and it's worked out but I've watched a lot of this Brown stuff and tried to figure it out for next season because Kareem Hunt I think will leave the team and just can he be a number one again somewhere else if so that's another conversation if he stays with the Browns are we going to draft these guys accordingly because Kareem Hunt by himself, not thinking of him as a backup or a number two, just his numbers tell me that Kareem Hunt should be probably a third round pick. Well, Nick Chubb that next year with all the injuries up top, he's probably going to be first round at least, maybe top five, depending on your format. So now all of a sudden, like, can you draft two running backs in the first three rounds of the same team? No way. So it's interesting, but honestly, I don't think he disappeared. He wasn't very effective, so you can think of it that way. Uh, just 2.8 yards per touch, not good, obviously. But I just don't think they use them when when it's a neutral game script. And this is it's been the Baker show the last month. We know that. Um, so that's interesting. Sorry for the the Kareem Hunt rant, but 
it, I've done a lot of talking about it on my podcast and I just want to kind of put that out there at least to go into next season with it on the giant side. It was terrible. Um, they're not able to move the ball. Daniel Jones is even injured. So even if he comes back, he's not going to be hundred percent Gallman, 29 rushing yards, Slayton four for 74 shepherd four for 51 Ingram four for 46. Nobody on the, on the giants is usable um, with Colt McCoy uh, period. So this game was okay to watch. It got flexed into Sunday night football. The, the Cowboys and the 49ers who we'll get to in a bit was actually flexed out. Surprisingly, they were actually a much more entertaining game. But um, this game was meh, and if you had Chubb, you did fine. But again, I think because of the uh, because of the standard he's set for himself, it was borderline a disappointment this week. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to think when he set out those final three drives, there were fantasy teams who lost simply off of that because they thought like projections would tell them they're winning, and then all of a sudden he just sat out. So that cost that definitely cost some fantasy teams. I will say this though, as to your point. At, like it's not a committee. I absolutely agree. It's a one-two punch, but you consider a one-two punch, but at the same time in a neutral game script or in a game script that they're just going to, they they don't have to pass in cream hunt or cream hunt takes a backseat to Nick Chubb. And that's completely the case. And if they're in like in the Ravens game where they were in a complete shootout, I completely agree. That's where Kareem hunt shines. It does stink stink to see because cream hunt did sign a two-year extension. I think at the beginning of the season. So Mm. In terms of dynasty, like unless he is get dealt, he signed a two-year extension. So both their values are kind of like solidified. And if Hunt stays for two years, that's that's an interesting case. But like in in a single in this and when you're looking at 2021, Nick Chubb is clear cut going to be the number one. And obviously Kareem Hunt's only there on passing downs, and even will line up out wide while Kareem or while Nick Chubb is in the backfield. And honestly, as far as Cream Hunt's value on the Browns, when Nick Chubb is healthy, at best, I mean, look, in the one particular week, two weeks ago, when they had the shootout with the Ravens, Cream Hunt caught the long touchdown and scored twice. And he became, he basically like ran the fourth quarter. So his numbers went way up and he did well. He actually performed Nick Chubb two weeks ago and it looked better. Outside of that, though, Cream Hunt's best opportunity or best case scenario is to level out with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb in most opportunities is going to get 12 looks. He's or 20 looks. He's going to get hundred yards. He's going to get a touchdown or two and cream hunts going to clean up the trash at the end of the game. Or when they're down by 10 points in the fourth quarter, they bring in cream hunt to catch a few passes. So I agree with you, man in dynasty. I mean, these guys are top running backs. You got to target, but I'm not necessarily targeting, targeting them with both of them on the team. He did get the extension. Oftentimes, now they're run first. Kevin Stefanski wants that. But look, Kevin Stefanski had Dalvin Cook by himself with the Minnesota Vikings. If Nick Chubb got Dalvin Cook's work, we're not even talking about Kareem Hunt. I'll just throw it out there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You guys want to move on to Seattle and Washington? Yeah, let's do it. So Seattle versus the Washington football team uh, means they changed the name. We're not going to get into that, though. Uh, this one was actually a low-scoring, very close game. Uh, Seahawks had 20 points, whereas the football team had 15. Overall, though, some key performances, uh, not really on the Seahawks side, but more or less on the Washington side. J.D. McKissick had 25.7 fantasy points. This was mostly due to his work in the air with nine, nine receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown. 
And he also had a solid day on the ground, 13 rushes for 51 yards and no score. Another key performance was Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas was a great tight end to play this week, 23.1 fantasy points. And this is due to just the insane workload that he got this week. He had 13 receptions for 101 yards and no touchdowns. So this performance was not a, oh, he caught a touchdown, so therefore he scored 10 or more points. No, this was a 100-yard performance on 13 catches for Logan Thomas with Haskins at QB. So overall, pretty impressive there. And then Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin had an okay day. He's kind of uh, hasn't done near as well as of recently, but this is like a slight bounce back. It's not to the, it's not an amazing game, but 14.7 is respectable for a wide receiver. Uh, McLaurin, seven receptions for 77 yards. Surprisingly, Logan Thomas uh, had a better day than McLaurin. Some that I don't feel like we were expecting in this one. And then on the Seahawks side of things, best performer was Carlos Hyde with 14.3 fantasy points. And this is just simply because he got a touchdown. He only had two rushing attempts and two uh, receptions. That's it. But he just managed to score a touchdown. And, and that's why he was actually the highest scoring Seahawks player this week. Yeah, uh, Jacob Hollister, the tight end, scored the only touchdown from Russell Wilson there. Uh, DK, 5 for 43, Lockett, 4 for 34. Carlos Hyde had a 50-yard touchdown at the end, so that kind of solidified at Carson's 69 total yards. Wilson, 121 and 1, 52 yards on the ground. It was a meh game for the Seattle, but honestly, uh, I do a weekly pick on my podcast. I actually picked Washington to straight up win this game. So we don't do spread or any of that. We just straight up, who's going to win the game? I picked Washington to win this game and frankly until the end they had multiple opportunities to do it but Dwayne Haskins is horrendous and couldn't if Alex Smith played this game I'm very confident Washington would have beat Seattle um great defense in Washington like these kids are young they're aggressive Chase Young is the truth sweat is amazing their whole defense is great they're going to be good for a long time if they can get an offense going Seattle's been struggling man Russell Wilson very very um uh you know mediocre the last month or two of the season Lockett is I mean you can't bench him because he's Tyler Lockett but he is I mean he's an RB or a wide receiver three at best DK Metcalf boomer bust but you got to play him because he's DK so we'll see what happens Washington side JD McKissick nine uh, nine receptions 56 yards and a touchdown love that 51 yards on the ground too I was a little worried Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to utilize uh, McKissick the way that um, Alex Smith does, but he certainly did worked out. He caught a touchdown late that helped out Barber just uh, five yards, but he did score as well. I'll, you know, I'm not playing Peyton Barber. Um, <clears throat> and then Logan Thomas, yeah, 15 targets is huge. I mean, he had 23 PPR points without scoring a touchdown. That's obviously phenomenal. So, you know, kind of a, a meh game for fantasy football, but a great NFL game. Honestly, I watched quite a bit of this one. I'm, I'm in the Northwest uh, the closest NFL team for me is the Seattle Seahawks. I'm a 49er fan, so that kind of eats my soul every week. But the local game for me is the Seattle game, whoever they play. I watch quite a bit of this one, and Washington's the real deal, man. I know they're in a, in a terrible division right now, and it's kind of a joke, but uh, Washington's the truth. Their front seven quite legitimately is a top three front seven in the NFL. Totally right. agree. You have Sweat, you have Iodonis, you have Deron Payne, you have Jonathan Allen, you have all of these guys. Like they have guys on, upon guys, and Ryan Kerrigan is also there, who's an all, who's been an All Pro. 
But I think the main thing I want to point out, shout out to Rashad Penny for coming back in this game. It's been a while since yep. he's yep. been back. But G.D. McKissick was a, honestly a surprise to me because with Haskins at running back, or with Haskins at quarterback, he was the RB50 and half PPR in those four weeks. So I kind of was like, I was kind of off on him because he just doesn't use the the running back in a receiving role as much as Alex Smith does, who likes to dump mm-hmm. the ball off. But that was completely not the case in this one. I mean, he did it both on the ground as Barber only got two rushes. I mean, nine nine rushes for 56 yards. And that, that, was, that was insane. Um, I will say... Um, with the Russell Wilson thing, I do want to pose a question to you guys. Would you right now for next week, would you take Jalen Hurts or Russell Wilson? Because I would take Hurts. Yep. Uh, no, so no, I'd take Hurts too as well. Hurts's rushing upside is just too good to ignore, especially now that he's on a hot streak from the last couple weeks. Yeah. And then, like you said, fantasy wise, it wasn't the biggest. I mean, Lockett disappointed yet again, but his upside is tremendous. And you would be upset at yourself if you didn't start him and he went off. So that's something. I mean, Metcalf is obviously a top five guy, obviously didn't do as well this week. Um, but yeah, Logan Thomas was the biggest shock of this week, 13 for 101. I kind of expected it, has had him as a top eight tight end, but didn't expect this much production. Like 13 targets is absolutely insane. And do I expect it to continue? Not 13 targets, but if he gets eight targets, he's a tight end one again. Of course. I want to uh, uh, rag on Russell Wilson just for another second, and we'll jump into the Jacksonville-Baltimore game. So Russell Wilson started the season on fire. We all know that. He was QB 1-4-2, and 2, weeks 1 through 8. They had a bye week in week 6. Since then, in week 9, down till this week, QB 10, 19, 12, 19, 21, 8, but that was against the Jets and four touchdowns, but only 200 yards. And QB 27 last week, that's just standard standard scoring. Um, that's a... QB two at best. Russell Wilson is supposed to be a set it and forget it QB five, right? Like Kyler Murray. Kyler's been picking it up again, but he had a lull. Russell Wilson is not automatically played in single quarterback leagues. And against the Rams this week, no, thank you. <laughs> he played yeah. the Rams in week 10, 248 um, and two touchdowns. He was the QB 19 on the, on the week. Um, this game is in Seattle. That obviously gives him a boost always because he's just, a different beast in Seattle. So could he be a QB one this week? Sure. He's QB 11 right now for me. Um, could he be, you know, top 10, obviously uh, any week, but look, Jalen Ramsey shut down DK Metcalf. And if the Rams can get after him again and shut down these options, they're not gonna be able to run the ball on him. I'm worried about Russell Wilson. And again, this comes down, we're talking one week on this podcast with you guys. Obviously I'm jumping on today. It's the first time, but I've been saying on my podcast for 16 weeks, you have to play week by week with looking at the past and looking at the future. I look at the past. I look at the future. I have mixed motions about Russell Wilson this week, Jalen hurts. Not a question. I'm playing Jalen hurts. I'm playing Ryan Tannehill. I'm playing Rogers and all the other automatic guys. All of a sudden I have a tough time even getting Russell Wilson into my top 12. So therefore like, is he somebody that I have to play? Absolutely not. To be honest with you, I have Russell Wilson and Mitch Trubisky back to back. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, I mean, he has the Rams, so like I didn't even I didn't even think of that he had the Rams. But honestly, with the Rams being as good of a defense as they are, yeah, no, absolutely taking J- Jalen Hurts, taking Ryan Tannehill, taking heck even Tom Brady, guys like that all day over over uh, Russell Wilson. 
my, my last point on that, and we'll move on, I promise. I'm actually almost concerned now that I look at this whole slate and we're talking about this. I've got Russell Wilson at 11. Trubisky versus Jacksonville at 12. He should probably be higher. Baker versus the Jets at 13. Probably should be higher. Jared Goff against Seattle should probably be higher. Tua versus the Raiders might be higher. I mean, there's like five guys behind Russell Wilson that have better matchups. I think I'm putting Russell Wilson where he is right now out of like OG respect versus where he actually might land this week. And that's very dangerous. Yeah, hundred percent. If if you are a Russell Wilson owner and Jalen Hurts is somehow still on your waivers, we'll go we'll cover waivers really fast later on. But Jalen Hurts is somebody that you should pick up and is going to be ranked and should be by fantasy analysts ranked way higher over Russell Wilson. And then we'll move into Jacksonville, Baltimore. And the main thing I want to point out, uh, especially on the Jacksonville side, is do you trust, like, obviously Minshew is pretty much not going to be the quarterback. We know that for next season. Will it be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields? We don't know. But in terms of, like, for this next game against the Bears, obviously James Robinson's out. Do you trust any of these running any of these running backs at all? Do you expect any of them to step up ahead of the others? Or is this just going to be an absolute crapshoot at the running? I'll go, I'll go real quick. I've talked a lot, Zach. I'll give you a second here. Um, no, uh, I don't trust him. Dario Gumbawale is probably the guy to come in next. He's been a third, fourth stringer his entire career. Honestly, I think he's an underrated pass catching running back, but he's like a usual Gio Bernard before this game against Pittsburgh or James White, a J.D. McKissick kind of a guy. So could he slide in for a five-yard you know, uh, screen? Sure. I'm not playing him. At this point, James Robinson has, again, like Mike Davis, taking you this far, losing him this week uh, would be crucial, obviously. No, I'm not fitting in just the next man up. Handcuffs are handcuffs. Tony Pollard, Alexander, um, Madison, uh, Jeff Wilson, those are handcuff handcuffs, meaning their guy goes down, you slot in the next one, they take over and basically don't lose a step. There's no handcuff on the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson started the season as a handcuff and he panned out. I'm not going to take it. Um, no, thank you. And frankly, I'm, I'm fading all Jags, DJ Chark included. Yeah, for sure. One thing I do want to ask, do you guys know where Reichel Armstead is? This man just disappeared off the face of the planet. He did. I'll look into it really quick, but he had a, he had like the never ending COVID situation to start the season. Um, he was like the only NFL player to be involved with this and like not come back from it but I haven't even heard his name until you just mentioned it in the last like two months. So while Sack dives into this game, I will look him up and see if he's still around. All right. So quick dive into this game. Ravens absolutely dominate the Jaguars 40 to 14. Lamar Jackson has a day 29.22 fantasy points. Lamar Jackson, 243 in the air, three touchdowns and an interception. Also has an okay solid day on the ground. 10 rush attempts for 35 yards and a tutty. Uh, overall in this game, though, uh, if we take a look, J.K. Dobbins did pretty well. Also touchdown on the ground, 64 yards on 14 rushing attempts. Uh, Jaguars, everybody on the Jaguars kind of disappointed this week. The high scoring option was Gardner Minshew with 15.94 fantasy points, something we're not really looking. 16 points is slightly disappointing for a QB. Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews continues to be a top tier elite tight end for the Baltimore Ravens after putting up five receptions for 66 yards and a touchdown. I feel like Jackson and Andrews have a solid connection and they should continue to play well rest of the season. Uh, they've got you here so far, so keep playing them. 
And then Marquise Brown. Uh, Marquise Brown is kind of like somebody who has been very inconsistent week to week. And I feel like this has a lot to do with Lamar Jackson and his passing abilities. Some weeks he's just not throwing it much, and other weeks he's throwing it a little bit more. This week he only threw it for 22 times, which isn't much, but Marquise Brown was able to make do on six catches for 98 yards, putting up a pretty decent performance and getting 15.8 fantasy points. Um, I want to know, though, uh, your guys' opinions on the early round QBs. Um, so this year, obviously, Mahomes and Jackson were the early round QBs. Uh, personally, myself, this next season, I, f- I feel like I'm going into a strategy where early round QBs are not even a consideration for me. I, I won't be looking at a QB until round five or later. Uh, my first four round picks are going to be two running backs, two receivers, or like three running backs, a receiver, maybe a tight end mixed in there somewhere if they're an elite option, but QBs are an afterthought for me. Uh, what, what's your guys' thoughts on this? Um, I am not going to go QB. I did not draft Jackson or Mahomes in any league. Um, basically my strategy, and again, this just became came down to me being a Herbert guy that happened to work out. Look, if Tyra Taylor didn't get hurt, uh, this would have bit me bit me in the ass for sure, but it, he got injured and Herbert became Herbert and it's fine. I pretty much went like Rogers, Matt Ryan. I'm trying to think who else. Um, Ryan Tannehill. I went with one of those guys who I knew would be safe. And then I picked up Herbert in the last round of every draft. So you know how that worked out by like week four, Justin Herbert was Herbert and I played him every week and it's been fine. I'm not going to go um, early QB either. Uh, advocate before you get back into it, man, I do want to give an update on, why call Armstead? Honestly, I'm a bit, uh, bit bummed and, and like concerned. Actually, I totally like didn't either forgot this had happened or um, just didn't hear about it. Uh, October 25th is the last update I got from him um, from Melissa Jacobs, who covers the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, basically, he is done for the season with COVID complications. Uh, but he got COVID and landed him in the hospital two different times, and he was ruled out in. Um, in uh, October after being placed on the COVID IR in August. So it took him two months just to try to come back and then landed back in the hospital and they shut him down for the year. So Raquel Armstead did in fact disappear, unfortunately. Oh, I mean, does he like, if he comes back, like obviously like when Fournette got cut, like obviously they were planning out James Robinson, but we all thought it was a Raquel Armstead show. Like as soon as he got cut, because we didn't really know about James Robinson. So it's kind of crazy to think that that happened now going on to the quarterback situation yes i'm not taking a quarterback early um i mean but i'm it's gonna be interested to see where guys fall this year obviously we have the rise of justin herbert we have the um and then we have guys like dak prescott who are uncertain who i think could fall in the same range of like where they are so i I, it'll be interesting to see when draft day comes guys like aaron Rodgers, justin herbert um, Josh Allen, guys like Burrow, that. Tua, Jalen, all the rookies are going to be middle middle rounds. I guarantee you. Yeah, for sure, and it depends on which ones go the latest out of the bunch. Because I mean, if you go quarterback late, I mean, you're probably going to end up with like realistically guys who are probably veterans this year. Probably like a Tannehill, probably fall later like that. So it'll be interesting to see who. I mean, Dak Prescott realistically with a bad landing spot could easily just fall right into a bad or. With a bad landing spot, could easily just fall right into the later rounds. Yep, 
he could also remain in the top five if he resigns or if he comes back to Dallas and he looks healthy. The problem is, I mean, Dak's injury, that was another quarterback. Um, I got, I should have forgot about him. Uh, I got, I got him a lot. He was kind of, he was my quote unquote early round QB, but I was getting him in like the what fifth or whatever. Um, his injury is gruesome. Like his, his foot detached from his ankle bone. Like, uh, he is walking around. He has been for a while, but for him to come back and do what he does on the field, not only in the pocket, but be able to run. And, and he's such a threat on the ground, right? That's a big part of Dak's game. And if he's unable to do that, or he's 70% or whatever, at least his first year back, that could really hurt his upside. And who knows? Zeke might not be back. Their offensive line got blown up. Their defense is terrible. The Cowboys are a joke right now, to be honest with you, from where they should have been. So who knows what they're going to do, but, um, yeah, Dak is definitely a question mark. Yeah, uh, for sure. And like, obviously, Lamar, Lamar, I'm not sure is going to be an early round quarterback this year. So Lamar, if he slips later on, depending on where you can find him, realistically could be a good option, because I imagine the early quarterback is going to be Mahomes has got it is going to be around where he was drafted again. And then even a guy like Josh Allen can move up into that tier. I wouldn't say right where Mahomes is absolutely not. But Josh Allen's going to be a guy who is going to be very highly drafted and it's going to come down to whether you value your positional rankings or whether you value quarterbacks yeah i totally agree i'm i'm a i'm a middle qb like basically my strategy is like next next year let's just hypothetically say josh allen maybe uh aaron Rodgers or whatever in the fifth sixth seventh round i'll probably pick one of those guys for like stability i know they're going to be good and then i will be looking at um, you know, uh, a later round guy, maybe Jalen, maybe Hurts is still around. Maybe Jalen comes back, Herbert, um, Burrow falls. Cause he got hurt, whatever. Like I'll grab one of those higher upside guys later just to see what happens. But I don't wait too long because I don't want to end up with like Matt Stafford, Mitch Trubisky, you know, it's just too risky. So I do want to get somebody I can rely on, but not overpay for. And then at the end I might get, you know, maybe, uh, another upside Marcus Mariota, who knows? Um, could be a great stash with that running upside. So uh, we should be we should be good there. Yes, yeah, um, rushing upside. We can move on to the next game and talk about Jalen Hurts. Obviously, Kyler Murray as well. Both of them, huge, yeah. But Jalen Hurts has looked like the real deal and has kind of just put Wentz off to the side. But Jalen Hurts, I mean, going it, it's kind of almost similar to Lamar Jackson in 2018, where he comes in, he's basically – He's decent at throwing the football, but he's shining running the football. They're running design runs for him. Is this something that we can see? Like, obviously, he's had a high usage of being of being used in design runs. Do we see that continuing on in 2021, or do you think it'll cut back a little bit? That's part of his game. Sack, why don't you chime in? Yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree with you. It's a huge part of his game, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. Unless, again, we kind of see a similar situation to kind of what happened with Wentz, where I think we all know that what happened with Wentz is that he got injured, and then they kind of tried to tone things back a little bit for him, but sometimes he was kind of like trying to force himself to kind of run, and then other times he was trying to play it too safe, and just overall just ended up not not being near as good as when he first started playing QB. I feel like it could be a similar situation with Hurts, where I feel like his running game is going to be continue to be involved unless some sort of an injury type of happens. And then the narrative will switch to kind of like, uh, let's, let's try to develop into 
develop him into a pocket passer, which is one of the worst things I feel like you can do with a dual threat QB is trying to take away the the fun, exciting, and the thing that's been winning you games, that, that aspect of their game, and then just take it, hey, you know what, we want Drew Brees out of Jalen Hurts. I, it's just not something that I think is a smart move, and I feel like lots of organizations kind of fail at realizing. Well, the, 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 I think the realization is this new crop of quarterbacks every year, and Trevor Lawrence can run the ball, but Trevor, and I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert are similar. People are going to fucking crush me for a take like that, so I'll just stay away from that. But what I'm going to say is they're predominantly pocket passers that can run the ball. Like Herbert was underrated and can run. If you watch the Rose Bowl game against Wisconsin, Herbert won the game on the ground. Uh, um, uh, Trevor Lawrence can run the ball when he needs to. So they're pocket passers, but run. A lot of these other guys, arguably, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson when he came in, uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously, uh, Josh Allen. These guys are runners that play quarterback. So they're developing as quarterbacks versus runners, whereas the other guys are the other way around. What I mean is it's a new flow in the NFL coming out of college. So when you have these college athletes, everybody's playing the spread right now. So once you have these quarterbacks that play the spread, they got to be able to run the ball as well, make plays happen, and they're able to do that. I don't think they change anything about Jalen Hurts. He just needs better accuracy. And what Jalen Hurts needs is weapons. Like Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham and a beat-up Alshon Jeffrey and two tight ends that equal each other out cannot be your top options, period. Like that's a team that needs Allen Robinson. That's a team that needs Kenny Galladay badly because now they have a quarterback. And unfortunately, Carson Wentz, who I've ragged on for two years on my podcast, unfortunately for the guy, I like the guy, but it's just not my jam. He got Wally pipped, you know, which is bad. And if you guys aren't baseball fans, I apologize for throwing out the reference, but any baseball fans out there might get my reference. Wally Pipp is the guy that lost his career to Lou Gehrig. He got injured. He missed the game. Lou Gehrig came in, played for the Yankees. Lou Gehrig became the best first baseman in uh, major league history. Wally Pipp basically faded off in the sunset. So what that means is Carson Wentz was fine, but he got beat out by Nick Foles, who continues to have a career because he accidentally beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And now he's got Jalen Hurts, who's actually better than he is. Um, on it, Carson Wentz has got to be gone. The problem is with the Eagles, they can't get rid of him because they guaranteed too much money to him. Uh, so the Eagles are in trouble, but Jalen Hurts clearly gives them the best chance to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, over Wentz for sure. And for Wentz, he's been like, he's been a steady option that has been uh, that has been there, but the turnovers have really killed Wentz. And now that Hurts is coming in, he's not making mistakes and they're being able to run design runs and get that as an added element to the offense. It's done especially good because those weapons have not been great. I mean, Raker's been disappointing coming in as a rookie. And I mean, it just, it just hasn't been great for them. And you mentioned, you mentioned earlier uh, that the running quarterback opens up lanes for running backs. Miles um, Sanders has been playing well the last couple of weeks too. Obviously a huge uh, run against the Saints. They get the upset win there. And then, you know, 18 for 88 this week, not sexy, but, you know, effective. And Miles Sanders has been bottled up for the last two years. They don't call his number, but he's also ineffective. And I think better quarterback play, better play calling overall, I think will help him in general. For the car, I mean, for the Cardinals, there's not much to talk about. Kyler Murray is insane. 
403, New Hopkins 169 and one. Um, Edmonds and Drake are kind of eating each other. We talked about that earlier. Edmonds scores. Not much to talk about there, but this is a really, really fun game to watch. Right. And then uh, then even on the Arizona Cardinals side, uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is another really good dual threat QB option. And again, uh, let's take a look at his his stat line real quick. Uh, 406 passing yards. I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure this is the first 400 um pass 400 plus pass yard game for Kyler Murray. Three touchdowns and interception, which the interception doesn't kill his day too much. But again, like even good QBs throw an interception for around three or more uh touchdowns. So not a whole lot to worry about there. DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins completely dominates the Eagles secondary nine catches for 169 receiving yards and a passing touchdown so overall when we look at this DeAndre Hopkins continues to be one of the best receivers in the league Chase Edmonds gets the score uh Kenyon Drake just uh kind of disappoints but not not much really could do there when Edmonds uh is kind of eating into your workload this week but overall the passing game for the Arizona Cardinals is very good and the Kyler to DeAndre Hopkins connection I feel like is only going to get better as the years go on I completely agree with that and like something to point out I mean my DFS lineup was carried by the Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins stack I mean not that I'm being I'm being a little overzealous but imagine Kyle Pitts in this offense next to Hopkins where they can move him around and I did end up getting a question on that, so we'll cover it later. But this offense is extremely dynamic, and if you add in more weapons to this team, it's just going to get even even deadlier. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see where Pitts lands. Two two uh, teams that don't need tight ends, though, the Chiefs and the Saints. That's for sure. I mean, Jared Cook is uh, getting up there in age, but Adam Troutman looks pretty good. I will say in this game – Breeze did not look the greatest, and that's something that we'll talk about. Like before the end of the game, he was desperate to find a guy. I mean, there wasn't a guy who caught a pass. Like in the when we got to the third quarter, there was only two wide receivers to catch a pass, and they only caught one each. Where it was Traquan Smith and Emmanuel Sanders. So with Breeze, I mean, he looked like he looked banged up, and he didn't look 100, percent and that obviously cost them the win, in my opinion. But Kamara, 14 for 94 and a touchdown. Obviously, we don't, it's not normal Kamara spender uh, expectation, or sorry, uh, expectations, especially with how much receiving volume we were expecting with Drew Brees, but still a solid game. But do we expect Sanders and uh, Jared Cook to be like, I wouldn't say top guys, but obviously Traquan Smith is banged up as well, and he might not be able to be good to go week 16. Are Sanders and Cook's um, good plays? coming up this week uh they're fine they each had five targets with michael thomas out um i'd rather just ride the running backs both uh, murray and camara uh i personally myself i think that sanders is a really good place so sanders has always played well with drew Brees and also with michael thomas not playing if we look at the numbers when emmanuel sanders is a uh wide receiver one on the saints he, on average, has around 100 receiving yards in a game. This one, he fell slightly short of that. 
at four receptions for 76 yards. But again, with Traquan Smith also banged up, I feel like we can get a little bit more work for Emmanuel Sanders. Now, the real question with Kansas City is CEH obviously going down with this uh, sprain. Are we trusting Lev Bell? And also, on top of that, um, a little bit of a multi-layered question, do we expect like even higher numbers from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, especially against Atlanta, on top of the fact that Lev Bell's now there? So are we expecting huge numbers from them? And then is Lev Bell worth a start? Lev Bell is worth a start, but Atlanta is pretty good against the run. I expect more work from him out of the pass. And I do expect uh, – Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill to be just fine, and this should be a shootout. So you start your studs automatically, but, yes, they should have a massive game in your championship. Uh, I personally, myself, I agree. Uh, Bell is a start. However, I will say that he's a definitely a risky start. Uh, Bell hasn't looked nearly as well as he did uh, back when he played with the Steelers, and honestly, he kind of seems like it's on the decline of his career. Do I think he has a shot to be a top 20 running back this week? I do. But again, I'm just a little hesitant on Le'Veon Bell. If you have other options available, like Daryl Henderson, I think I would be rather starting him, starting players like them. Interesting. I think I would have Lev Bell over Daryl Henderson, but that would be just me. All right, moving on into the San Francisco and Dallas game. The San Francisco-Dallas game was definitely interesting. Obviously, Tony Pollard went off and is basically better than Ezekiel Elliott at this point. Um, that's the main takeaway here, but I, I want to talk about Brandon Ayuk here. And obviously from a 2021 redraft and a dynasty perspective, he's getting more and more work. And is A, is Brandon Ayuk a worthy wide receiver one in San Francisco? Can he be a wide receiver one? And B, is he going to be a guy that you're drafting next year with all the hype and he could be almost overdrafted? Do you expect to take him a lot next year? Um. Take him a lot. No overhyped. Yes. It all depends on the quarterback. Uh, I'm a 49er fan have been my whole life. The first Super Bowl I remember watching was 1994. Yes. I'm old folks. Uh, when the 49ers beat the uh, chargers, um, I'm not into the quarterback situation. I've been fading Jimmy Garoppolo since he got signed. Um, Nick Mullins, I've been tongue in cheek, a fan of, but he's not the answer. CJ Beathard is clearly not the answer. Debo Samuel has been out almost this entire season and Brandon Ayuk has stepped up very admirably, which I appreciate since week eight, 10 targets, 14 targets, nine, 16 and 13. He's done very well. If we get and but the problem is Kittle's been out this whole time. The run game has been busted. The quarterbacks have been terrible. The defense has been bad. Everything has broke in the perfect scenario for Brandon Ayuk. And look, when we got him from Arizona State, we being the 49ers, I was absolutely thrilled. I think this kid's a monster. Clearly, he's very good in the Kyle Shanahan yards after catch system. He fits the mold perfectly for 49ers. He's going to be great for a long time. I'm pumped to have him as a 49er. Fantasy-wise, he's just Debo from last year. But when we get him and Debo on the field at the same time, we'll see what happens with George Kittle. Three of those guys are the same exact player. And if we don't have a quarterback that can distribute the way that we need to, plus a run-heavy offense, I'm concerned that it's not going to work out. So I love Brandon Ayuk. Am I targeting him next year? Probably once or twice, but I'm not going to overpay. And because Debo and Kittle and everybody else has been out this this year, he's over-exceeded, I think, expectations as a rookie. Um, I think he will get overdrafted. Um, but, I mean, I probably wouldn't take him before maybe the seventh round. 
Yeah, no, I kind of agree with that. Uh, I feel like he could possibly be somebody who, uh, like you mentioned, I feel like he has a chance that he may be slightly slept on next year. But again, though, uh, it it really depends. He's definitely risky with all the, because like you mentioned, everybody, uh, everything has fallen in place. No run game, no Kittle, no Debo Samuel. And just overall, he's being like the only guy there that they can give the ball to. And when that's the case, obviously, he's going to have some good some good games. Uh, but yeah, no, I feel like he's a good receiver. And like you mentioned, do you think he, uh, you don't think he could be a like a true alpha wide receiver one but I, I i agree with you i feel like he has he definitely fits the mold for the kyle shanahan system but again yeah he's he's gonna be a risky play but he is somebody that i feel like i would take some shots on next next uh next year in uh, draft time i think Ayuk and debo could be a version of what cups and a uh, cup and woods are uh for the rams um, similar receivers, but neither one of them is truly the number one. They alternate who that number one is. I think they'll be just fine, but no, I would not consider Brandon Ayuk the number one. All right. So, and then on the Dallas side, we'll cover that real quick. So on the Dallas side, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, kind of late, right before the game start, not, not too long of a warning. I think, I can't correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it's like an hour or less before game time. Uh, then Tony Pollard becomes a running back starter, only has the 12 rushes for 69 yards and two touchdowns, which is insanely efficient. And then on the in the receiving game, six receptions for 63 yards. Overall, uh, like Advocate has mentioned, uh, Pollard has looked much better than Ezekiel LA. And this is something that we've even seen while Pollard was the backup even earlier in the season. Like in the early part of the season when Dak was healthy, I feel like there's people, and I know people that have made um, made some points that Pollard has been more efficient and he's looked a little better with his touches than Ezekiel Elliott has. And now seeing uh, Pollard with nearly, or with Ezekiel Elliott out and having the backfield to himself, I feel like I feel like they were right, and Pollard does seem to be a better back so far. And then... Andy Dalton just kind of does what did what Andy Dalton you kind of expect. Two hundred nine passing yards, two touchdowns. The real star of this game for the Cowboys and the reason they won was one hundred percent Tony Pollard. For sure, and uh, we'll, like you said, Pollard is going to be a good option, and most likely will be started in a lot of championship uh, games. So we'll go ahead and move on quickly into the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game. Not much to talk about fantasy-wise, more so to talk about with how bad the Pittsburgh Steelers are um, <laughs> now that they've fallen off from grace. But is do you trust Pittsburgh now as an AFC contender, or has the Bills jumped them, or has even another team jumped them? Oh, man. Uh, well, the Chiefs, the Bills, the uh, Titans – I'll take Baltimore head-to-head right now. I might even take Cleveland head-to-head right now. Depending on how the Colts show up on any given day, I'll take the Colts over the uh, the uh, Steelers right now. Um, is there anybody obvious I'm missing that I'm not thinking of? Um, uh, I wouldn't take the Dolphins. Maybe the Dolphins. I wouldn't take the Dolphins, no. Um, but I, the Bengals, the Bengals just beat the Steelers. The, the Dolphins defense could absolutely stop big Ben Roethlisberger right now. So, you know what, today, from what we just saw from the Bengals, the Steelers aren't a playoff team. They went 11 and 0, so they're in the playoffs, but frankly, no, 
I don't think they survive the first round if they have to play anybody with a solid defense um, and a pass game. There's no chance, and uh, they're not going to be able to score. So that's certainly an issue. No, I don't trust them as an AFC contender. And frankly, in my championship, I don't trust them with my fantasy championship on the line either. Uh, Snell put up 101, but okay. Um, DJ uh, uh, um, Deontay Johnson, 8 for 59 in the touchdown on 13 targets, still five passes his way that weren't catches. Ebron left the game immediately. I don't trust Vance McDonald. Ben Roethlisberger, 170 and one in a pick. No, thank you. And I'm not certain any Bengals either. Uh, Gio Bernard went off somehow and they did well, but uh, this game was a wash. And for fantasy, I don't trust either one of these teams moving forward. Yeah, I, I pretty much have as a wash besides the Pittsburgh wide receivers. Uh, they go up against Indianapolis, so they're probably not going to run the football. They'll probably have to throw, but even then, they're still good pass defense. They're still good run defense. They're good overall defense. And Benny Snell getting 18 rushes was kind of surprising, but I don't expect it again, even if he's good to go. Even James Conner, I don't expect getting 18 rushes next week. So, yeah, I wouldn't trust them at all. And Big Ben Roethlisberger, I wouldn't trust in your fantasy championship game if you have to start him. Nope. Right. No, I know I agree. I feel like in the early season when they when they went undefeated and then they ended up losing to the Washington football team, I feel like sure the Washington football team is kind of competing for their division. They have a chance to make the playoffs, even though it's kind of slim. It could happen. Uh, but again, I feel like that was kind of our warning signs. And now I feel like the Cincinnati Bengals uh, win kind of confirms that that the Steelers I feel like they've gotten lucky kind of most of the year and especially big Ben at the moment. Um, I'm not sure what happened to him, but as of recently, he's fallen off a cliff. He does not look the same. He's been playing sloppy. James Connor wasn't healthy. So that didn't help things. And surprisingly the Bengals beat the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ryan Finley. So yeah, Steelers are not looking very good. If they play it, like you said, if they play anybody worth of value, in the playoffs, which they likely will, uh, I I wouldn't look for them to be winning. They had the easy, they had the easiest strength of schedule to start the season and they got all their wins like they should before they lost to the Washington football team. They almost lost to the Baltimore Ravens. Now, when you say that you're just like, Oh yeah, well the Ravens are really good and they have a big time rivalry and that game's always up for grabs, whatever. Let's remember the Ravens literally had like eight starting defenders out due to the COVID issue. They had, RG three. And then they had um, um, McSorland or McSorley who, who came into the game after that, they didn't have any running backs and the Ravens were, I think a touchdown or a field goal away from winning that game. That was the Thanksgiving game that got moved to Tuesday because of COVID yada, yada. They almost lost that game, that game to literally like the NFL version of a JV team. The Steelers got punched in the mouth by Washington. They got punched in the mouth by um, uh, the Bengals. And look, if they run up against Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Mahomes, um, frankly, anybody in the AFC, they're going to get smashed. I do not trust the Steelers. I think they're one and done. They're already guaranteed a playoff spot, and they're probably going to you know, host a game because of their seeding. But I think they go one and done no matter who they play. Yeah, as a Dolphins fan, they better hope that the Dolphins end up there and not the Ravens. Because if the Ravens end up as that final seed, there's no chance they make it out of the first round. I agree. Chubb will beat them up. The Ravens will beat them up. Um, I, you know, honestly, if the Dolphins and Steelers played tomorrow, I would take the Dolphins. Yeah, I, w- I would take them now. I mean, I think the, St- the Steelers team could improve. I, I believe in Mike, Mike Tomlin in them. 
but I don't know if they make it out of the first round. Like you said, I do too, but they're getting, they're getting hurt at the right time when a lot of other teams like the Browns, like, um, like the dolphins, like the Ravens, they're getting healthy and they're improving. They're maturing. Now the, the, the Steelers peaked in like week 10, right. Yeah, With yeah. an older team and their defense is getting beat up. And the, you know, James Conner, even if he plays, I'm not playing him. He's a, he's, he's slow. I mean, he doesn't have the burst. He's, probably affected from the COVID being a cancer survivor. Like there's no way um, I trust these guys. I don't trust Ben and I can't trust these boom bust receivers all over the field. Eric Ebron's honestly been their most reliable fantasy asset the last couple of weeks and he's out now. So no, no, no sealers for me. For sure. And then we'll, we'll move right into waivers and let's, let's all, uh, let's both all three of us take two guys that you, you have to have, obviously, I wouldn't say have to have, but obviously there's one week left. These waiver wires are basically, there's no, there's no more depth pieces. It's all about winning them the, their game. So who are two guys that you believe can do that for them? And we'll go, we'll go and go one each uh, and then rotate. Uh, I mean, mine's, mine's obvious, but if you have, uh, if Jalen Hurts is available, I'm going to go Jalen Hurts for sure. And if I can't, then Marcus Mariota is kind of a dark horse in, in uh, super flex leagues. Yeah, I was going to say Jalen Hurts as well, but Beans, you took him. I feel like Salvin Ahmed is kind of an interesting play. Uh, whoever, if, if, you, if we look at the Miami Dolphins running back backfield, it tends to seem like Brian uh, Flores kind of wants to use a workhorse running back. Um, it just kind of depends. It seems like they all that there's always one running back who's getting like 18 or more touches a game, and then the rest just kind of play a supporting role. And if that's the case, I feel like Salvin Ahmed is kind of an interesting candidate and a decent waiver wire pickup for this week. All right. And then I'm going to kind of go through a few guys, obviously, that haven't been pointed out. Tony Pollard, if he's available in your league, absolutely pick him up. He's going to be, in our eyes, probably a, a low RB1, high RB2 for this week if, if Zeke doesn't play. Um, same thing for Lev Bell. Lev Bell going up against Atlanta, it's a little bit harder of a team and they're going to throw a lot. But if he gets that touchdown, like a lot of those Chiefs running backs do, he'll end up paying off. And um, wide receivers wise, Tyron Johnson or Jalen Guyton, if Keenan Allen's out, that's going to be a definite thing. And then tight end, if George Kittle is available in your league, George Kittle is going to be a guy that you should pick up because even if he is not 100%, which I don't expect him to be, if they roll him out onto the field at 80%, he's still better than eight of those tight ends. So that's somebody I would be looking at as well. Yeah, I think it's a good call. I actually have all, all of those mentions on my list here as well. A couple other names I'll throw out as honorable mentions. Keep an eye. Maybe Drew Brees is still available just because he was hurt. People did, maybe didn't pick him up last minute or they wanted to see a week from him. He's back to Drew Brees and single quarterback leagues. I feel good about him. Also, Baker Mayfield has been playing pretty well if you have a two-quarterback system. Uh, Jarrell Henderson, we mentioned earlier. Ty Johnson against the Browns. Daria Gumbawale. Maybe even Jarek McKinnon if Mostert and Wilson are both out with their ankle injuries. Keep an eye on them. Uh, our boy Pascal, A.B., Russell Gage. Um, you could look at uh, Ward, who caught two touchdowns for the Eagles, and uh, Jacoby Myers, who we talked about earlier. And then... For tight ends, Fant, Logan Thomas, or Higby as well. But uh, George Kittle is my number one tight end pickup, obviously. For sure. And then we'll go ahead and move right into questions. Zach, if you want to, uh, do you have any questions? If not, I'll go ahead and start off with mine because I only ended up getting one question. I, I have one question. Okay, if you want to go ahead and go. All right. So this one is definitely going to be an advocate question. So what's the key difference in the top five incoming rookie QBs, T-Law, Fields, Mac, Trey, and Wilson? Okay, so in my opinion, there it's a top six, but Kyle Trask is the the clear cut number six for me. I see some people have him at four, 
Um, I think that's just not right. His He does have a slight bit of mobility. He honestly reminds me, obviously, it's the same scheme, but a semi-Dak Prescott with less throw power. He, he doesn't have the ba- best throw power that you would want out of a guy who's not mobile. But he he does need he can be mobile if he needs to be. The clear cut difference. So Trevor Lawrence is one. There's no doubt about that. Justin Fields is two. And then for me, Trey Lance is three, but he's the biggest project out of the six quarterbacks. And if he's lands in a bad scenario, I'm not sure that he pans out. Mac Jones and Cal Trask are the most pro ready. So in a dynasty draft, if you're valuing that first year, they're going to go ahead of Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. However, I would take Trey Lance and Zach Wilson over Trask if I wanted to prepare for the future. Like if I'm a Chicago team and if I can afford to play Trubisky six more games in order to get Lance ready for the NFL, I would 100% do that over getting Mac Jones. All right. And then the, the second question I got is another college question. So it was after Pitts, are there any more intriguing rookie tight ends like Fryer, Youth, Watermeyer, and Long? So the three names I'll point out, there's obviously more than that. This tight end class is so much better than the last class. Obviously, the last class pretty much only had Cole Komet, and that was it. And we've seen Cole Komet. He's been on and off with Jimmy Graham. So for me, Fryermuth is the second best tight end in this class. Brev, uh, he's more of a blocking tight end. Um, he has the nickname Baby Gronk, Baby and obviously he's not going to be as good as Gronk was in his prime, but he's a solid run blocker who can go out. He's slow. He's semi-slow, but makes the routes that he needs to make and is a big body. Unlike Pitts, who's a more of a hybrid wide receiver. Two, two other names I'll throw out are Hunter Long and Brevin Jordan would be the other two. If you guys have any takes on those. I haven't gotten into college yet. Uh, I have other team members on the TCK squad, Lucas Kaser primarily, that dives into the college stuff. Um, so I don't have a valuable take at this point, but I am always very excited to kind of turn the page. And what I do is redraft heavy dynasty midseason. And then once the Super Bowl happens, I take March, April before the draft to really dive into college. So I'll be getting into that in the next month or two. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing over here. I haven't even looked at the college prospects yet. But again, as soon as fantasy championships are over and it's NFL playoffs time and I don't have to set lineups or anything like that, uh, more time will be focused into what do I think could happen during the offseason in both free agency and the draft, that kind of thing. For sure. It, it's definitely been interesting to look into some of these guys. Um, j- obviously, since you guys haven't like looked into it as much, I've kind of looked into it and done a few posts on it. This 2021 wide receiver class is arguably better than the last two, and that's saying a lot. The 2020 class has had such huge impacts in the 2019. This one as a whole, the top 25, all can make big impacts in the NFL, starting with Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith. But this class is very run, running back weak and wide receiver heavy, so that's going to be something I'll look at both in Dynasty and 2020 redraft. It's pretty incredible to be better than this draft class. That'll be exciting. For sure. All right, do we have anything else, or is that going to wrap up the show? Uh, that's going to wrap up the show. I have no more questions. If you also have no more questions, that's going to be it. So before we go, we'll let Sky from TCK Pod go ahead and mention his social media accounts one more time. And then uh, me and Advocate will throw out our keyword of the of the show. Well, boys, thanks again for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Like I said, it's been a long time coming. We've been connected for a couple of seasons now uh, via social media, but finally able to get on a pod. So I appreciate you both. I'll have to have you each on 
the TCK pod here originally, and your listeners can come and find me on my own podcast, five episodes a week. Again, we're approaching 350. We'll be over 400 by the end of the season. Um, been going for, for quite a while here. So come join me at the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. You can find that anywhere you listen to your podcast. We'd appreciate a five-star review and a rating, of course. You can find us on social media as well, on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore TCK pod and on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. I have my weekly rankings, articles, and a uh, start-sit strength of schedule sheet that me and uh, the TCK crew and the commish fantasy football podcast crew have put together this season for you. So you can go check out the strength of schedule there on our website, tckpod.com. Again, my name is Sky, the host of the candlestick kids fantasy football podcast. It has been a pleasure boys. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So then real quickly, we'll head into our keywords. So our keyword for this one, we'll just go beans. You mentioned Kyle Pitts so much. We'll make the keyword pits. And so uh, our rules are very simple with that. If you DMS our keyword for our show, we we normally put this in kind of late in the show to see who sticks around, but you will receive a free shout out if you do uh, tell us our keyword. Uh, that's going to be all for the show. So I'm going to sign off real quick. You can find me on Instagram at SackAttack underscore fantasy football. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook at SackAttack underscore FF. Again, you can listen to our podcast every week. And that's going to be all. And then Advocate, uh, your, your sign-off real quick. All right, so my Instagram is at Fantasy Football Advocate, Twitter at, uh, at Advocate Fantasy. And it's been a pleasure having uh, Sky from TCK on. on and I uh, can't wait to do more podcasts with uh, a few others. And looking forward to joining your podcast. And that'll wrap us up.